Hey guys, brand new podcast, and it's official. The Fully Loaded at Sea Cruise is sold out. I am so blown away. I didn't. I don't think anyone expected a pre-sale like we had. I don't think anyone expected us to sell it out in under a week. Um, I know I didn't. I have a lineup of comedians I've yet to announce, all of which I thought would move tickets. I have, uh, I have music acts. I have so many surprises. I have a, a year's worth of promos. I thought I would be selling cruise cabins up until October, because that's when this cruise is, 356 days away, roughly. I don't know, 300. It's, a, it's still a year away. So thank you. If you'd like to go on this cruise, the only opportunity you have now is to join the wait list. There will be people who fall out. That's what the uh, cruise people say to me, that things show up, weddings and, and whatnot. People get divorced and, you know, whatever. So this is horrible. This is horrible. I don't wish that on anybody. A lot can happen in a year. A lot can happen in a year. So go join the wait list. At Burkreiser Cruise or fully loaded at sea.com. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, Alaska, we've added a second show at the Alaskan Airlines Centers. That's in like two weeks, three weeks in December. I'll be there for a full week. And then uh, and then that's it for my year. That's it for my year. And then we are in in uh, it, uh, Italy, uh, Europe for January. Uh, back out. For the Super Bowl, me, Shane Gillis, Mark Normand for the Super Bowl in Arizona. We're trying to think of a title for that show. I just pitched Super Bowls, but I guess you're not allowed to use Super Birdie Bowl. I don't know. They got a bunch of ideas. We're going to sell posters. It's going to be a special event. Tampa at the Amelie Arena. Uh, TD Gardens is almost sold out. Go to BurtBurtBurt.com for the Top Soft World Tour that starts in January. Today's podcast this guy's one of the best joke writers in New York. He is fucking awesome. I met him through watches. As everyone knows, I kind of got interested in watches very late in life. And, you know, Segura and Rogan were turning me on to watches. And then Kevin Christie kind of just like, I got interested and I, I was at the cellar. Dude, this is the best thing about cool comics. He comes up, introduces himself. I already know who he is. Phil Hanley. He goes, Hey man, I know I noticed that you've been talking about watches lately. He is the reason I wore this watch on the special because he's like, oh, man, come on, classic gold. You've always worn the gold Rolex. It was a, a gift my father gave me on my 40th birthday. So I, I wore this because of Phil. I think we talk about that in the special. We talk about in the podcast. In, in the, in the, in the podcast my God. We talk about watches a little bit towards the end. He brings a watch that I'm really obsessed with. It's the watch Pan Am gave all their pilots. And as a guy who travels, I think this is cool as shit. It's the GMT 1645 or something. I, I forget the exact number, but it's the one Magnum PI wore. And he got it from a guy. And then another guy hit me up. And he's like, yo, I got another one. Look, if you're a watch guy towards the end of the podcast, you're going to hear us talking about watches. We talk a lot about the Grateful Dead. We talk a lot about the Grateful Dead and about music and why we love this music and why that music found us at that stage in our lives. We talk about our favorite songs. We talk about... We talk about a lot about the Grateful Dead. We talk a lot about him growing up in Canada and and him discovering the dead by himself without anyone else. He is an amazing comedian. He's got a special on YouTube right now called Ooh La La. He is fucking phenomenal. Get ready to discover one of your new favorite comics if you don't already know him, but you should put your hands together. Without further ado, my friend, stand-up comedian, Phil Hanley. This is 
How about the app Be Real? Have you ever done Be Real? No. Here, grab the mic. We'll start. Are we good, Austin? Um, it's uh, Be Real is this app these kids showed me. They're like, it's the biggest app. Here, I'll do one with you right now. Take your Be Real. So it takes a picture of you and then what you're looking at. So then that's it. Oh, cool. And so it's, and you just do it whenever you're at notification. It's like, yo, what are you doing right now? It's kind of, it's kind of cool. I mean, I don't know. You're, you're, you've kind of utilized Instagram for more the, to, to show your stand up. Yeah. That's like, yeah. I f- and I feel like I'm like late on the game. I feel really? like a little bit like I, I went, yeah. Like, a, like I've started do now. I'm like every day. But yeah. it was like a you know a few times a week or whatever. But now I'm like, oh my god, I will not sell tickets if I don't do this. So what's the what's the algorithm then for you? Do you put do you it, you don't consider putting in material on Instagram burning material? That was a worry, yeah, because I I just did a special and I was like, I had a couple of those things had been posted earlier and I was a little paranoid about it. Really? Yeah, I didn't want I like I was worried that people are going to be like, oh, we already saw this on Instagram. Oh yeah, but you know what? I I think I I don't think that. I remember when when I was young watching Dane and wanting Dane to do material that I had seen him do because I had brought friends to watch him do it. You, you know, it's so I so I my special came out. Ooh la la. Yep, ooh la la. Two weeks ago, and then last weekend I was in San Diego, and I was so, I had to do like there was some of the material right. I can. And uh, I remember I was talking to Molly from Punchline, and she said that the first time that Hedberg headlined the Punchline, people were, like, reciting his jokes, like, as he would set it up, they would say it with him. Yeah. And they were, like, so pumped that he was doing it. And I was like, okay, just keep that in your head. Because otherwise yeah. you feel terrible. Like, I was like, oh, fuck. Well, I think that's part of the gig is that, like, you, most people, so st- I think stand-up's weird. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this. But I think most people bring people to see a stand-up comic that they want to turn on to them. Like, yeah, yeah. I think now I think it's really like, yeah, like one person would follow you on Instagram and then be like super stoked and want to bring their friends. Yeah, and hope that they did certain jokes. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I, look, I'm the wrong one to talk about this because I've been doing the machine for fucking... Dude, you're the right... I, th- I have a machine story. Really? Yes. When... 10 years ago, Sam Morale opened for you and came back and was like, I opened for Bird. He tells the best stories. And I've always wanted to tell stories in my, in my act. Sorry, yeah. just distracting me. Oh, no, not at all. Um, and you are a straight up deadhead. Uh, that's two dead, that's two dead that, things. Yeah, they're my. Unless you're OCD, that's two no, dead. No, I am OCD. That's something else we're going to talk about. But uh, uh, Put that down next <laughs> yeah. to the dead. But no, yeah, no, I, I, God, I love the Grateful Dead. I, I love the Grateful Dead. I, it's funny that you love the Grateful Dead because I was uh, I was thinking of you today, obviously, because I was coming in and I was thinking Bert would be the best deadhead. Uh, I just was, your enthusiasm. I was really into the dead, really into fish, really into uh, that whole scene, widespread panic. Uh, that was like my that was the how wait how you're thirty nine. Uh, yeah, I'm getting up there. Yeah, wait, how old are you? <laughs> Around there. I that was my whole scene like that was the music I that was the music when I went to college and I decided I didn't need to be the person I was in high school yeah because I was a little bit of a meathead in high school okay and I was like I I remember I bought a Ziggy Marley uh, uh tape I bought a um 
what was the name of the ska band where the uh the it was a black dude who played trumpet do you remember um fishbone oh, oh, fish fishbone. Fish yes bone. yeah i bought a fishbone album and i got introduced to widespread panic and widespread panic out of all the ones that i pulled out was the one where i gravitated and i was like oh fuck yeah and then from widespread panic and the dead was like the dead was to me was almost like the rolling stone is to my daughter's friends like they don't know the rolling stones but they have their t-shirts okay so yeah. like the dead you like when you went to college you'd see posters of the dead yeah you'd see the dancing bears on the back of trucks you'd see the yeah. skeletons holding hands yeah but you didn't know one, no one was listening to the dead and then i discovered the dead and it was like the beastie boys it took me a second to get it get them yeah and then once i got them i'm done yeah like i when i because i'm dyslexic and bob weir my daughter's isla's very dyslexic oh really like possibly and i would love to go head to head with you guys the most dyslexic person you'll ever meet in your fucking life dude for <laughs> me to text peter there to get the phone number from an email into my phone yeah. was like you know like it was like what you to open like crack a safe i was what, what just need a bomb what dyslexic jokes do you have uh i have a lot i have, I have like I have a few uh, close to like 12 i think my special opens with like 10 or 12 minutes of dyslexic stuff are you serious yeah every time i write another chunk i always because i'm it just it's everywhere i'm actually writing a book about being dyslexic really yeah i hope that's what it's about that's a joke <laughs> um but, <laughs> peter knows what's up Great. uh but, <laughs> but uh yeah i'm writing a book about uh yeah dyslexia and i work with eye to eye which is like a big uh advocate for kids with like learning differences yeah. yeah so so isla is so dyslexic it is we've it has been a a big bone of hilarity in our house because there was like i mean she gets her ass kicked with it i mean legit i remember we oh, went it's brutal it's brutal because it 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 is debilitating I, and I, I mean on so many levels that i won't go into because i know isla was trying to grab onto a little bit of her privacy these days but um my favorite joke I have is she came up to me and she goes, have you seen this? I said, what? She goes, Mississippi's outlawing adoption. And I went, oh, my God. And then I showed it to Leanne. And she goes, it's abortion, dickheads. And Isla goes, oh, so they want orphans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds, yeah. Like, sounds like Isla's joke, to be honest, Bert. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, like there's that abortion, adoption, nightmare uh tranny anchovies. tranny tyranny that would be trouble that would be problem. i've read trannies uh we need to stop trannies <laughs> yeah. in this country that i've read be... that a lot and uh i'm just like an also anchovies are you really yeah yeah anchovies and uh artichokes it's oh. total crap they're very different on a pizza and i just have to roll <laughs> the dice and i'm bombed if it's fish like it's <laughs> it's just my life yeah but so your dyslexia and that's why it took you so long to finish college i'm not, i've never i never could read a book i could never read a book uh i i get so frustrated reading and i read things wrong like like and i'm, I'm sure you'll probably identify with this but like any of the like i to this day cannot google house of dragons and try to figure out the family line because denarius and disarsis and disasis they're all it looks like the same word to me and I give up. Uh, fucking, um, I would when I would read. I there are words I just don't. I just go. That'll never. I'll never be able to oh, sound it out. Yeah, like uh, this for me. And I don't know if it's like this for your daughter and you, but like for me, I can't identify a symbol with a sound. So 
any word I know, if I'm reading, it's just a word that I've memorized over my life. So yeah. like a compound word, like if, uh, like if there was a street called Greenwood, I'd be able to read that. But street names, last names, uh, like I can't spell some of my best friend's last names. Oh, 100%. Oh, 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 there are, uh, to this day, there are names of comics that I just don't say because I go, because it's a T of V or whatever. And yeah. Like there's just names I just don't go for because it just, it, it, it daunts me where I just go, no. Yeah. And I'm not that bad dyslexic. Isla is, I mean, we used to do a game for her where we would have her read street signs and we're like, don't stress about it. Just read what you say. Yeah. Read what you see. And we would be crying laughing at what she saw versus what we saw. Yeah. And and we would have fun with it. I mean, we've always been lighthearted about it. I used to have a joke. I went into when we went into her um her, I guess maybe first grade, second grade class, they were like, we need to hold her back a year. You know, she's not reading. And yeah. the, and the, and the, and, the, and they couldn't diagnose dyslexia in LA USD. They weren't allowed to qualify to diagnose dyslexia. Yeah. But they were like, we're, we're she, we know she's dyslexic. Yeah. But we can't diagnose it. And I was like, and I said, as a joke, I said, can we just teach her Braille? And they're like, why? <laughs> and I said, well, her eyes don't work. Like, if she learned to read Braille, could that, would that be easier? For, they're like, we're not going to teach her Braille. And I said, well, hold on. <laughs> what about getting her a dog? Yeah, I said, well, I said, well, I go, okay, her eyes don't work. What if you had a blind kid? Would you just hold them back? Yeah. Because they can't read. And they go, no, we give them audiobooks. I go, can we give her audiobooks? And they were like, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we could. Oh, fuck. Hang on. Give me one second. It's Rogan. Okay. You always got to take this call. We leaked my, my trailer of my movie on his show yesterday. Oh, shit. Yeah. So he was worried he was going to get sued by uh, Legendary. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... He's been texting me all day. He's like, what happened? What happened? And uh, and so I was like, oh, he's we've been texting back and forth, playing phone tag, so I apologize for taking oh, that. Oh, no problem, man. No, no problem. He's, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a pretty uh, chaotic. F and then I had a fucking fitting today. And what everyone. did you fly back at? I flew back uh, first thing in the morning. Okay. Yeah, I have a hard time with, uh, uh, I have a hard time with drinking on planes. Like I drink on, I'm afraid of flying. Oh, okay. So I drink on planes, and and I haven't drank for a month, and I've been able to fly pretty good. Like okay, yeah. So I flew home sober to this today, and so, oh, which okay. has never happens. I'm usually hammered by now. Oh, really? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Are you a drinker? I yeah, I do. I I enjoy drinking thoroughly, yeah. but I don't. I try to like. I just get hungover and I'm not productive, so I only have a couple drinks. Really? Sometimes I let loose. I like to let loose. Yeah. So wait, go, let's go back to dyslexia. Okay, yeah, I thought of a, this is an autobiographical dyslexia joke that I have where I, and it's so true. Like, I was like, kindergarten was cool. Yeah. But you can, I can spot a dyslexic. Like, if I talk to your daughter and yeah. she seems smart and, and with it and then sits down and can't read, you're dyslexic. Like, yeah. it's so easy to spot. So I was like, kindergarten, you know, went really well, you know, and then arrived in the first grade and like immediately... You know, everyone starts reading, and uh, the joke is that I, you know, and I just was like, okay, fine, you know, I'll like stare out the window for a decade, which I did do. <laughs> but then they would do this, like the, my first grade teacher, and I, because we were like similar ages, she, it was like no idea what dyslexia was. She would put, this is true, she put my desk at the back of the classroom facing the wall, and that's just where I was because I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I would get zero on every spelling test. Yeah. You know, and then, she would, the teachers would always be like, we'll sound it out. 
And I'm like, that's like saying to like finding out someone's like death allergic to peanuts and being like, oh, chew slowly. Like yeah. it's, the, <laughs> it's the same thing, man. It's slow death. And uh, they, they, they had books. They had, when I was a kid, they had little uh, like folders, like pamphlet. They were, they were uh, cardboard, but they were little books and they were colored. There was like, it was like green, blue, uh, purple, and it got to like silver gold. And, and you would, you would read them in first or second grade. You'd read them and you'd graduate slowly to the next one. And I could never get past the first one. I had such, and I have a really hard time reading out loud. And so I, uh, I had, I have to trick my, I have to, I, I, a prompter was a real fucking problem. Oh dude. I, it's, it's my nightmare moving words move anyways. And then on a teleprompter. So yeah, I have to memorize stuff. I memorize. So I'm really good at, if I read it once, I'm really good at memorization. Like actually to the point. That's a skill because you're like, that's, there's all these strengths that dyslexics have. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure Delilah has these like strengths that no one else has. They're oh, just, Isla, 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 Isla. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was, I was like, who the fuck's Delilah? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, Isla. Well, Isla, Isla's brain is very, I mean, obviously I've made a lot of money. That's a dyslexic thing too, by the way. What? Delilah and yeah. Isla. <laughs> I got to get her to come out here because she'll, she, uh, her brain obviously has made me a ton of money because I've, all I've done is legit taken what she said and put it in my act and not touched it at all at times. And it has been the biggest stories I tell. Because her brain sees the world, you know. I guess they say the majority of billionaires are dyslexic. Yeah. Because you're forced to, you're forced to create workarounds in your brain to get places. Yeah. I when I did I did a movie with Mark Hamill, and he actually pulled me aside and he said, "Your ability to memorize is unheard of." He goes, "No one, like I would memorize things. And I couldn't read the scripts." I couldn't read them. Yeah. So I would have someone say them. And as soon as I said them, I had them committed to memory. Yeah. And so I had this woman, Anya, who would read my script in the morning. We'd do rehearsal. And I will I would have read it the night before. And and she but you know, you changes in the morning. Yeah. And she would read the part of Bert and everyone would do their scene. And I'd listen to her. And then I go, Okay, I'll do it. And then I'd come in and I'd do it. And I'd immediately had have it memorized. And I used to do that for Travel Channel. I used to do that for for prompter reads like when i was doing uh go big show i'd read I'd, I'd read it through one time and then i just memorize the chunks dude yeah like that's the that's i'm not surprised like that's a dyslexic thing and then i would do these this this year i did this like there was like this conference for eye to eye which is an amazing organization yeah and i was talking to uh the kids there's like you know um you know teenagers there that are like the head of their group to help other dyslexic kids in their high school and we're talking and it's like, I really thought it was just a problem that just I had. And then every time you talk to a dyslexic, like we struggle with organization, like I'm like late or like to get to a flight, it's like a military operation for me. Like yeah. I got to have my bag there, my thing there, my phone, everything's got to be packed, ready to go. We struggle in all these different things, but then we excel in all these different things. And the thing that sucks and the thing that messes the dyslexics up is we don't realize those things until you're done school. So you've been terrible every day. Till you're 18 and then you have this like weird self-esteem and then you're set out like the statistic of people that are in prison that are dyslexic is so high 
And I get it. it dude, it's like like it's seven out of ten, like people really learning disabilities. With learning disabilities. And the most predominant learning disability is one that's related to uh words. But I get it. Like I was in special ed and the my for some reason, my parents, like I would come home and teachers would say I was dumb, and my dad would be like, God damn it, you're smarter than them. Like somehow my dad maintained my self-esteem yeah. throughout the whole thing. But like kids whose parents wouldn't accept their dyslexic, that's a big thing where they're just in denial. They don't mm-hmm. want to have that label on their kid, which is horrific, or penalize them for not being able to spell or whatever. Those kids are going to get into a fight or they're going to just be pissed off and shoplift or do whatever. And it's going to lead to them getting into trouble. My I buddies, see my, the correlation. Two, two of my, one of my buddies is a very wealthy dude and he was hardcore dyslexic and just was like i'm not going to college i'll figure something out yeah but that brain i think allows you to see the world i don't i don't know i don't know what it does all i know is that i was not a very good student at all and i never excelled in school i would i would take tests and be like i killed that and i get a 35 and be like what the fuck yeah and i would have missed read the easiest thing and i'd see it again and go god damn it yeah and i never i mean i don't know how i got through college i mean i i, I it's amazing that you did I, I well seven years yeah but but uh but now in hindsight my brain for this business is so what i should have been doing this whole time yeah is i love thinking of promos i love thinking of of opportunities i love the i love writing i love i love fucking writing stories and jokes i love it more than anything is to whittle away at a and i will say that my dyslexia or and and i also have i don't know if this is a thing but i mishear people a lot like i mishear people constantly and people will say something and i'll mishear them and i'll start laughing and then they'll go, what's so funny? And I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, my mom's no longer with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I got that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a guy who said he got paralyzed because he fell asleep in the back of a truck. And I thought he said he got paralyzed in the waist up. And I started, and I was like, wait, is that a thing? And then I pictured it and I couldn't stop laughing. And they're like, it's not funny. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I couldn't stop. But that, Honestly, that when I first started stand up, that was like how I'd get a joke was yeah. misreading or mishearing something. Well, I mean, another part of it is if you struggle with reading and writing, and that's how the education system is set up, then you're like a coiled spring. So when you find like I never had the you know where you like the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. I never had that. I would try to read every single day and graduated like high school with like a first grade reading level. You know what yeah. I mean? So you then when you find stand-up or something that you're good at you're just like holy shit like if i do a show i'll be better at this tomorrow it's so it's like it dyslexia once you're out of school helps you in so many different ways are you an only child no i have a brother and sister both both readers canadian yes vancouver yeah well i grew up in ontario but i started comedy in vancouver what's what's ontario uh ontario's the province where toronto and ottawa is Ontario's uh, just uh Oh Ontario's uh Windsor. Yeah, Windsor, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm in Ontario uh in a week. Oh really? I'm in no, no, in December. I'm sorry, in December. Okay, cool. I'm doing shows in Ontario in December. Um what's what's the difference between Ontario and say Alberta? Uh so it's British Columbia 
is on the west coast and then alberta's beside but like, it give me give it to me in states oh okay in like on, american states ontario is like new york state alberta's like texas really yeah, yeah. alberta's like uh that would make sense why i always yeah. did well in alberta <laughs> alberta's like uh or like was uh, it goes back and forth but like oil and like do dudes in the crowd worked at oil rigs and had tons yeah. of toys yeah and voted for trump even though they're canadian and uh <laughs> yeah no that's that's a trump that's a that's a like there you would see a trump flag in alberta in Canada, not even in the, he has no jurisdiction. Yeah. But that, yeah. so that's the, that's more of, that's, it's very Texas-like. Were you into the tragically hip? Uh, I, I, I was, once I discovered the dead when I was a kid, I was like really just into the, like, I mean, I like other music, but yeah. I admired the tragically hip. Uh, I had friends that went to school in their kind of hometown. So they would kind of be around. Oh, really? Yeah. In, in uh, Kingston, Ontario. So they would kind of be around and stuff. So I really admired them. I was like sad uh one of them passed away right? yeah yeah the lead singer oh fuck yeah that sucks when you find out that people can die like that i know i know he was i mean they they were such had such a strong following in uh in canada and they actually they tried to break it canadian bands have trouble kind of breaking in the states and they're a band that i mean they have so many great tunes you think they would have been and dan Aykroyd got them on snl they did do snl and then that was like, I think their big kind of shot to try to break the States, but it just never kind of went down. Yeah. I remember when the first time I, or when I backpacked through Europe, every Canadian was like, you know, the tragically hip, huh? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no. Nah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, what are they? Did they call him the hip? Yeah. The hip, man. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. You, oh, you got to get in with a hip. Yeah. Like, You'd love it. Their last show, our uh, prime minister was in the crowd and Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Yeah. He was like rocking out. Wore a jean I jacket. get him mixed up with other people. Wait, people in Canada don't like Justin Trudeau, right? Uh, like I'm pretty out of touch with Canadian politics just yeah. because the it's so less entertaining than American politics. It's pretty blasé. Well, you guys, because I made a joke about the Queen in Vancouver. No, yes, Vancouver. Yeah. And because I was like the Queen Elizabeth, I was performing at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. Yeah. And I made a joke about, I, I thought it was going to be an easy fucking steal of a joke. Yeah. And boy, they fucking hated the Queen. Oh, they didn't that she was a colonizer. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's very Vancouver of them. Um, (laughs) we, I mean, we had like in, in our classrooms, we have a photo, a huge photo of the queen and on our money and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The queen has still, still has a a presence. It's kind of crazy to me. What was it? What I always get confused in, uh, in, on, I always think Toronto is where Vancouver is. Okay. I never can place Toronto, and I've been to Toronto a lot. Yeah, Toronto's a great town. It's, like, kind of just up from New York City. It's, like, a 10-hour drive or something like that from New York City north. Did you do Did you do Montreal Young? Uh, I did Montreal, I think, maybe, like, five years in or something like that, but I did the Canadian. You, there's this thing called the Homegrown Competition, and they fly you in and you compete. But if you don't get first or second in the competition, you fly home like the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's a bummer. But I was able to, I, I got like runner up or whatever. So I stayed and, and kind of did like Canadian shows at the so wait, festival. Did you start doing stand up in Vancouver? I did. Yeah. And, and, uh, like what, what, what was the scene like in Vancouver compared to, which is like the badass scene is Seattle's got a great scene. Yeah. Fucking Portland's got a great scene. Uh, 
our scene at the time was great. When I started, it was really good. I think it's changed a lot. But we had like Zach Galifianakis was there. He was like filming like a TV show there. Oh. And he would come and do like these open mics for like eight people, like after shooting. And I had never seen anyone so funny. I'd never seen anyone so fucking, good. so fucking funny and these super short, like smart jokes. And he would like take the mic and walk out on the street and then like cruise around, like just do whatever. And um, so I was really lucky to see him. But there was like a, there was a bunch, there was a lot of really funny comics at the time. How long did you, how long were you in Vancouver before you moved to New York? I was there eight years. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And then I moved. Uh, I would, when I started, I would always watch the Seinfeld documentary. And I'd always see Seinfeld and Colin Quinn hanging out at the cellar. And I was like, if I could only, you know? That's the fucking, wait, I just recently saw that again. I got to re, I got to. When was the last time you saw it? Probably six years ago, but I have seen it like 110 times or something like that. I'd watch it every night. It's crazy. The, it's crazy that they it's crazy. I, I, I'm going to say this carefully, but it's crazy that they did that to Orny. Yeah. Well, yes. Because, 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 any anyone would talk recklessly like that. This is they did that before really reality television the way we know it is. Yeah. So you would think if you signed with a manager and they're doing a documentary and they're profiling you, you'd think they'd edit out the shitty parts of you. But they just kept in all the shitty parts. Yeah, but I, but then when you, I know, and but then when you see it like storytelling, like it did, super, it's so complimented, like as a, as a film. Yeah, I could see why they needed why well, they did it like that. I mean, there's a lot you could say about that, and I would say one thing is when you know Orny, that is a lot of what you get with Orny. Like there, Orny, they represented Orny as in Orny. Orny was. That guy at that time in his life. Yeah. But it was, it was, I remember watching it and being like, oh, wow. That's crazy. It would have been weird. No, did you know Orny the I first time Orny. you saw it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I didn't meet him till like years oh, yeah. later. I knew Orny. I knew Orny pretty well, I guess. See, Orny's an interesting guy. Do you know Orny now? I, I've just met him a couple times. He's a murderer on stage. Like a murderer. I've seen him kill. He kills on stage. And... But he is a very vocal dude. Like there was a there was a generation of comics in New York when I started that were dudes. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this without sounding insensitive, but like dudes that the in comics did not uh, talk uh, busted balls on. So does that make sense? Yeah. Like when I start, when did you move to New York? I moved to New York around ten years ago. Okay. Huh. So like Patrice is already dead, right? Uh, yes, Patrice. Said, uh, I started coming to New York. I would like play terrible like road gigs in like rural British Columbia. Yeah, save up my money, rent an Airbnb, Airbnb for like a month, and then so I ha I would come before I actually moved there. I would come and just kind of like try to do open mics and try to like he died in a place myself. So yeah, it's, yeah, probably 2011. I, I got to see him perform once. His um. His so his group was like Norton, Voss, Bobby, Patrice, Colin, what a Apollo. Uh, I mean, it was it was the fucking the funniest dudes. Yeah, I mean, they were like the older the elder state statesman to me. But even though 
I'm probably as old as Jim Norton, I'm guessing, but like they were still elder statesmen. Too. Yeah. How old is Jim Norton? But uh, the one thing. No, he's, well, he's five years older than me. The one thing that I'll say, uh, I remember reading press when Comedian first came out and Seinfeld did say that the way Orny expresses himself, the way he's perfect, because every comic has that in them. Everyone did, but everyone did but man they really like when he said when he, the i mean the my, my most memorable scene was like uh was when he talks to barry Katz and he goes where the fuck is uh the stephen wright thing yeah and you're like stephen yeah wright, I'm, but and i can see that but like oh it's just something you i would be like dude please don't put that in the yeah, movie. I'm yeah i'm begging you Stephen yeah. Wright. i mean talk about as uh statesman i mean stephen He's wright the fucking great yes yes and but also you could see how I mean, I don't think I've ever been so unhappy with a set that I would like talk shit about Stephen Wright afterwards. But yeah. you could see after a bad set, you're raw and you can say thing. You know what I mean? You're not at your best if you're not happy with Especially your set. Especially when or someone comes in and goes, "Can I tell you? Give you some advice?" <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh. <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he's like, "Maybe a little less of this and a little more of that." And you're like, oh. I, "Yeah." I mean, the most mellow dude in the world would have trouble taking that if you weren't. You know what I mean? If, Especially when you build up to these things like JFL or like a big set. And if you're not, even if it goes well, but you're just not fully happy. Oh, you know, what's the biggest show you've done? Like big, the most nervous you've ever been. What, the auditioning for the seller was oh. wild. I was, it was wildly nervous. Really? Oh God. I was dying. Wait, I was who, dying. Who, who recommended you? Uh, Kevin Brennan recommended me. That's an interesting wreck these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's very <laughs> controversial. Edit that out. Um, uh, but Wait, like, can I just say that guys, and I know that you're, I know that it's, it is, it is problematic to even talk about Kevin because Kevin will hear this and then he'll go off on a fucking rant, but I love Kevin Brennan. Yeah. I mean, he, I know I, that he's, I know that, the, I know that maybe, you know, Kevin's a little bit of a shit starter, but he was the first guy I met in New York. He was nice as fuck to me. Yeah. And 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 I'm I've never had a problem with him. He's talked shit about me. I've heard about it. But yeah. like I but I st I still fucking guy makes me giggle. Totally. I mean, he he yeah, he he kills. He still yeah. kills. He he I got I opened for him at Go Bananas and uh I remember when I was open for him during the day we were at lunch and he took he was talking to a tell on the phone and I was like this is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm having lunch with someone who has David Tell's phone. Like I would, it blew my mind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he vouched for me. And then I waited a full year cause I just moved to New York and I like, I like oh, playing the seller was everything. It was my yeah. goal when I first started in Vancouver. And, uh, so I woke up that day when I was going to audition and I was, dying and back then they didn't audition that many people like what year is this 2012 2010 yeah like i think yeah around like probably 2012 i'm trying to think 2013 yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. no i got i got passed at the seller in 2000 Oof. type in mark Marin. never mind the buzzcocks that's when i got passed i went to do that show in new york it's got to be 2000 i remember the name of that show i can't place what it is I got passed in 2002. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And I said to Manny, was it Manny? Yeah. I said to Manny, um, I, my recollections are two things. Number one, in my recollection, Manny had an accent. 
And I know he doesn't, but in my recollection, he had a fucking strong accent. Yeah, I never got to meet Manny. Well, I told the story to Peter, to Peter, to Peter, to Pete Corielli. And uh-huh. Pete goes, no, it's a great story, but you know Manny doesn't have an accent, right? And I was like, for real? Did he run a horse? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he passed me and he said, you know, you can work here. Uh, Marin vouched for me. And uh, he's like, why don't you go up now? So I went downstairs. I went up. And he goes, you're funny. You can work here whenever you want. And I was like, he goes, call in SD. Call SD for your spots, for your veils. And I went, I live in LA. I said, you know, if you had passed me six months ago, I, yeah. would, not, I would not be living in LA. I'd be living in New York. I would, I'd stayed in New York. Yeah. I wasn't passed here and I moved to LA and now I have a house there. And, and he's like, well, call when you come into the city. I go, and I literally was like, I never come to New York. I just got rid of my apartment. I was doing bi-coastal and I was yeah. going to pack out my apartment and do the show. But I would have stayed in New York if I had gotten past at the cellar. It's so interesting because that place was such, it's so like the comedy store in that, in that it can be problematic for comedians that get lost in it. You know what I mean? In, in what sense? That that becomes like, their everything? It, will, it, it becomes such a, it, it is such a benchmark yeah. to get past there yeah. that sometimes that's all they need it's funny that you say that because when i was listening to your episode with tim dylan and you guys were saying that you both that you both said you didn't get past and how it changed and made you move here yeah for me like i when i got past there that i hadn't made a goal first off i'd never been good at anything before like i wasn't someone who achieved goals so when i achieved that one it was just like and i love like the seller is one of my favorite things that i get to do and oh, i yeah. live deliberately a 15 minute walk from the cellar and i walk there every night and do a spot and you know like it it's, it feels like family and uh it's a great feeling to be in that to be in that it's a great feeling to be like oh shit it's nine o'clock time to make my walk yeah and for me my walk was to the boston comedy club i will i that was and I, I had i never once had anxiety about going there I was excited to go there. Yeah. I was excited to do stand up. Whereas now I, I, even when I go to the seller to the store, I'll, I will get a little anxiety. Like, Oh fuck, I got to work tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just stay home with my family, open a bottle of wine and go to sleep. I don't need, what the fuck do I need this for? But back then, man, that walk was hungry. Keep going. I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no. But I did the same thing. Like at the time I was living in the West village. I had this, I was living this crazy situation. My roommate was 75, but I was living in the West village. Yeah. And, uh, I would walk in, it was like a 12 minute walk then. Now I live in these fields, but I, I would walk and I'd be, and I would think to myself, these are the good old days as they're happening. Like I was so grateful to be a, working at the cellar, all my friends. I was so nervous because Sam had already been passed. Norman had already been passed. Uh, Joe Mackey had already, been, all my friends were already passed and working there. Yeah. And, uh, God, it was one of those. I used to get it when I first started stand up. You know, when you wake up and your first thought is, "Oh, like I did stand up." That's what it was. It was yeah. one of those things. And like, I think my my uh, set, my edition was like ten thirty. Like it was a long ass day oh. getting ready. And again, not a lot of people were getting passed back then. And I, I remember I was going up, and I remember watching like as I'm like on stage taking the mic, I, I could see like a towel walk down. Nikki Glazier walked down. My friends were like in the hallway because at the time it was like a big deal to audition and yeah. to get past and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I was I was always late to all of that. Like I only got I got past, I never never even got past the Boston Comedy Club. I just worked the door. So like and then I and then 
I then I no one was ever like, hey man, we'd like you to work the club. I just worked the door, and then I could work on weekends because I I I could do weekends there, but I didn't you know like never got past it. The cellar when I lived there, I mean I, I did you know when I moved to New York, never got past it. Uh, comic strip, uh, Gotham, stand up New York, any of those did spots there. Yeah, never got past. Moved out to L.A. I I kind of got past the improv. Never got past this at the last. Take that back. I got past the Laugh Factory and very quickly realized I don't want to be in this group. How long were you doing stand-up before you moved to L.A.? Six months. Oh, you just started. Yeah, I did. Well, I got a deal with Will Smith and I moved to L.A. and moved in at the uh, Universal Sheridan. Oh. And I lived there for seven months. Wow. And then okay. I moved back for like a couple couple weeks, uh, may, maybe more, and I, I flew back out. Maybe... Maybe three months. I moved back for three months, and then I came back out and did another show. I did a showcase for ICM, and I got another deal and a TV show. Whoa! And so I had my apartment in New York, and I was by coastal. This is probably ninety nine now. No, this is two thousand. Okay. And two thousand, I was on this TV show for about a year. It ended in two thousand one, and then you know September eleventh happened, and I had both places. And then around 2002, I was like, I'm going to get rid of New York. I'm not flying back and forth. Yeah. So I moved back out, and that's when I met Manny, and that's the first time I ever did the cellar. And, but then still, it was like, I, I didn't have, like, carte blanche to call in avails because Manny passed away. Yeah. And it was like, and it was like never, I, like, I, and I, if I was in New York, I was like, I just won't even bother anyone. I'll do spots at the Boston or wherever. Uh-huh. And Boston was gone, I think, by that time. And um, it was a wine bar. And then... And then I just would, if I, and then I started doing the road and I was like, ah, fuck it. But this, the store was the big one for me. Okay. So you get past the store because I was a grown up and I was successful already. I already had TV shows and I was already a touring comic and I was already like really good at stand up and I wasn't past and I wasn't getting past. I was, there was no track for me getting past. I remember uh, Bill Burr and Al Madrigal pulled Adam Egan aside and they were like, hey, you should pass Bert. He should be working here. And he was like, I, yeah. I can't. And I was like, huh? And he just said, he's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, I, I remember Bill going, hi, I thought that was going to go differently. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Bert. And then it was, it, there was the stink of failure was on me. Oh, and everyone just kind of walked away. And I was like, I was like, okay. So when did you get, had it? What was the, when uh, did you get passed? I, I went, you know, it's so funny. I went to Montreal one year. It was the, it was the worst it was the worst, single worst experience. I'd gone to Montreal before that, and I had a really great experience. I did a, a showcase. Uh, I didn't do like new face. I didn't do anything good, but I did a showcase. I did another showcase. I did. I, I jumped in on a couple shows, and I did a storytelling show. And the storytelling show was really good. It was when no one knew who I was, so I showed up and I two, I did like two different stories. I did the machine on one of them, and I did the story about fighting a bear. And they fucking destroyed. I mean, they destroyed. Uh-huh. They were like, there were bits. But yeah. I'm a storyteller, so I was fine. And then I was like, great, Montreal is awesome. So I go back the next year to Montreal. And it was a different experience. I didn't get on. I was on one show. And it was done by CISO in a, in a warehouse. And they had built a comedy stage and a background in a warehouse and put seats in a Perfect. warehouse like literally it was almost like 
Like if this is the warehouse, they did this and built like a stage with a wall and then just put seats here. And then this was all still a huge fucking warehouse. Dude, I did my first, I did a com way too soon. I did a comedy special in Canada, like four years in. Yeah. And that was the deal. Like you could still see like dust rising. Like you knew there was where the seats are. There was going to be a forklift in like 20 hours. Janine Garofalo bombed so bad. And I'm saying this respectfully to Janine's. We all bombed. Uh-huh. But Janine Garofalo, like a legit stand-up comic. Yeah. Bombs, Fa- would, huge at like famous. Hugely famous. Uh, went and hid, uh, and I apologize if Janine hears this and is upset by this, but this is the truth. Went and hid in, in hair and makeup and wouldn't go out to the lobby where everyone, like the the waiting room where all the execs and all the other comics were. And I went back there and I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm embarrassed. And I said, you you did, by the way, as a comic, it was one of my favorite things to watch because it was Janine going. It was her stream of consciousness. It's what she does best, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It did not go over well with the audience because that they were just yeah, they're warehouse they're, workers. Yeah, they're warehouse workers. Yeah. Janine Janine was fucking brilliant. But I said to her, I said, You are you were fucking amazing. By the way, I'm truth be told, I'm so attracted to Janine Groffalo. Okay. I've I've always had a fucking massive crush on her. <laughs> hope and she does hear this. I hope she does. I hope she knows she's got a ride or die for life. <laughs> she is so fucking sexy. Anyway. She's very cute. I fucking love her. I love her. And so she's sitting in hair and makeup. She's like, I'm embarrassed. And I go, Janine, we all fucking bombed. I was like, you did not bomb. She was like, I did bad. And I go, no, no, no. You didn't see what I did. And I was like, I, I, mine was horrific. And she was like, for real? I go, trust me, you did not. Do-. And by the way, she didn't even do remotely as bad as she thought she did. Yeah. And so we all go into the thing. And then she hung out. And everyone's like, oh, shit, Janine Groffalo's here. Yeah. And everyone lights up. And then she was the... And you know she was sober, I think, but but, I, and that trip was a spiral. I was drinking too much, I was not being healthy, I was fat as fuck. My show that I was doing for Travel Channel was about to get canceled. I knew that. Oh shit! And and I was and I had nothing going on, and and my best friend was blowing up. Tom was just about to turn a corner in his career where like he was going to do theaters and. And I had nothing going on. And Adam Egget came up and was like, hey, man, uh, it's been way too long. You sh- you're you past the store. Like, you, I have room, and I'd love for you to come. Oh, that's great, And man. out of that whole fucking shit experience, I could tell you where I was standing by the bar, over to the left of the bar where Bobby Kelly, you know how they set up podcasts sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Like, right when you walk out of the elevators? Yeah. I was over there, and, and I was like, hey, this trip was worth it. I got past the store. Did my first set at the store. Terrified. Terrified. Got bumped by... Judd Apatow, Louis C.K., and Daniel Tosh. What year would this be? Is I don't know. It's two. Type in Bird the Conqueror. I would say the last season of Bird the Conqueror. So I remember I remember I was in therapy pretty aggressively at the time. I was a fucking mess. It was 2010. Those I the for yeah, my first, it was like years before i got comfortable at the cellar even even now if i'm if you do like something new and it doesn't hit you're like oh i better pull this out real quick it's still high you're still performing in front of that sign and it's still the sign that you know was like my like aspiration or whatever what's what so like 2016 is when i got past this at the store it's crazy dang that's way too late wait 2016 you started Birth of Conquer in 2010. Yeah. And then it ended in 16. 
Yep, 2016 is when I got past the store. I was I was 40. Let's see what I'm turning 50, so I was 44. <laughs> it was 44. It's it's good. I, I'm glad I had all late success. Well, that's what when I was listening to, and it's so clear, it's so obvious, even staple. When I was listening to you and Tim, I was like, so that's like the best thing that happened to you guys was not. It's so funny that life works like that, where it's like it must have been such a bummer if you weren't working at the cellar to be in New York. But it then, I mean, it's like the greatest thing that's, you know, because yeah. you do, you do, and it's a great thing, but you can, it is, feels very fulfilling and you can just walk there every day for, you know, and then you wouldn't have created all your, all the stuff. I wouldn't, I, w- I wouldn't have been, there's a lot of things that are good about late success, I think. Um, I hope to experience that. <laughs> just keep waiting. <laughs> You got 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the older you are when you succeed, the more empathetic you are to, to your coworkers. Abs- oh, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, there's there's dudes that are probably a bad example, but like, um, I, I, I can't name names. I can't name names, but I mean, I, I won't. But uh, there are dudes who believe that this, that God had anointed them with all the talent in the world. Yeah. And so maybe for whatever reason, they either stop working as hard or I, I don't know. But like when that doesn't happen to you, you realize it. there's no anointment going on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's even cliche to say, but like everyone's stories of when starting out are always the stories that they talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even the Beatles, they talk about them being in Germany and playing all those gigs and stuff like that. Well, it's it's funny. I, I, I you said I'm living the best days of my life right now. Yeah, I used to have a term that I I used to say a lot. It was called salad days. Do you know what salad days are? Uh, I follow an account called Salad Days on Instagram. Type in salad days. It's a it's a. I'm gonna fuck it up, but technically, if if life is a meal, the salad is the thing that comes out. The period when one is young and inexperienced. Oh, okay. At the peak or the heyday of something. Journey back to the salad days of the railroad. So I, like, I used to call when I was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty naive in when it comes to happiness. Because I, I find it, I've, I've, I readily find it. Meaning I, like, even when I'm depressed, and I'm going through a bit of depression right now, it's part of the reason Joe called. Um, you can see it on me, you can see it on me, but I, I can barrel through it and go, Oh, it's a mindset. It's a mindset. Yeah. We got, I, I got this. Yeah. I can decide to be bummed out or I can turn it around. Yeah. Usually I've always done that with booze, but lately I think people can see it a little more readily on me because I haven't been drinking this month. But uh, I find that those early days, those, I mean, the early days of working the door at the Boston Comedy Club, hardcore solid days, my favorite days. Yeah. My, my first move out to LA when I first moved to LA. And I discovered LA, all the smells, all the different scents. Yeah. Like I'm a big, I'm big on like sensory shit. Yeah. Uh, hardcore salad days. My first TV show, I'll never have better days than that. Um, touring on the road, 10 years I spent doing stand-up just on the road. Fucking the greatest. Yeah, it's, it's, the fucking greatest. Well, you can look back. Like I remember I was thinking of a gig the other day where we drove, I think it's called like Murray Lake or something. It's like way, way, way up northern, northern BC. Like t- you're heading towards Alaska. Yeah. Driving up, doing the gig, then getting in the car and driving home. So it's like 22 hours in the car or something like that. Yeah. 
And it's brutal at the time, but when you look back, it does something to you when you think about it. You know what I mean? Like all those that all that struggle stuff. So then what so you left did you start stand up right after college? Yeah. Well, but yeah, but I was in college for like seven years or whatever. But then I went to and then I moved right to New York. I would have been I would have been in my friends, this is how this is my I went, my friends, my parents were like my brother and sister went to college. My parents were just like, you like for my health, my physical health, they didn't think I could do it. Cause they knew if I set my mind to it, I would force myself. Yeah. I, I, it would have been, I would have been at least seven years. Oh yeah. So I, I moved to Europe and then I, I was a model in Europe for four years. What? Yes. And that's how my way to stand up comedy was so roundabout. No fucking way. Yeah. That's what I did. All my friends went to college. Yeah. And you modeled in Europe. I shockingly. Yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did like what was that? Where did you go? I went I so the thing is when you start you're supposed to live the the smart thing is to live in Milan. You're supposed to live in Milan. But you'd be in like it would be like a college residence only just models. Like I at one point I was living in a room with five other male models. Are you pulling up modeling pictures? No, I don't think there's a, I don't no, those are all uh those are all uh stand up stuff. But uh, I don't know if there, any, there are any online. I have some on my phone I can show you afterwards. You've got great modeling hair. Like, you've got, like, that ridiculous <laughs> thick hair. Oh, thanks. It just, it's everywhere, <laughs> and it just doesn't leave. But I, I lived in Milan, and then I lived in, I, I would live in London because I liked London better, and I would work in Milan. I'd work in Paris. I do, like, the runway shows and stuff. My best, one of my best, best friends, who's, he's passed, but he was a model, and, uh, and, and he would just fight gorgeous dude but uh he lived in miami and modeled out of miami they that, that was his I, I wasn't good looking enough to like work in like i wasn't like buff and you know this is before i was jacked i wasn't buff and <laughs> to work in this work in the states but in europe they like these like skinny dudes with long hair and i was yeah. a skinny dude with long hair it was during the heroin chic thing how did you get how did you get discovered to model i have a i had a friend who uh who's still my friend and she was like a successful model and I, I remember i visited her in new york all our friends were in college or going to college in, in september this yeah. was like august and i told her that i had applied for a store a job in the convenience store across from my high school which would have been like prove all the teachers that were like you're not going to do anything and i'm like no shit and also you know here's they'll charge you a dollar for your chunky <laughs> bar or whatever the yeah. fuck you know so i would approve them right and she was like no she was like come live with me and i'm going to introduce you to like photographers that are you can be a model and i was like i had never swam publicly without a t-shirt on like i was skinny and really paranoid about it and she, I didn't really, she introduced me to people in the States and it, I wasn't really the right look at the time for the States. And then I went to Europe. I did the shows and I booked, uh, I booked shows or media. I booked Armani the first year I booked Dolce Gabbana. And then I start, so in Europe I could work, but it, my goal was to always live in New York and, you know, do something in New York, yeah. not model. I was quite embarrassed. Sweet, sweet. How much did you make with money? Yeah. You, you make for standing in a pair of dockers yeah it's you make good money it's like the easiest like what would you make like i guess like for at the time i guess for like fashion shows and stuff like that you'd you'd get like a few thousand bucks if you'd get more if you were um if you were if you were you know famous or like yeah. bigger or whatever but i i did like car i did a car commercial my last job the whole time i was like 
this isn't what I want to do. I wanted to find something that I was like passionate about and was really yeah. into. And I'd meet like stylists, photographers, and like even other models that were like into it. And I was just like, this is, this isn't for me. And I booked a commercial. Uh, it was a Pontiac commercial, Sly Stallone did the voiceover. He yeah. wasn't there, but it paid like more money. It was like, I don't know, like 35,000 bucks, something like that. And I was like, this is fucking insane. Yeah. And I moved home to Vancouver and I started doing improv and then I started doing stand up. Really? But I lived in Europe and modeled for four years. Did you have sex with models? Uh, I, ha I, have, I have done that before. Yeah. Shut up. Not, not, it wasn't a frequent thing. I was, because female models are more into, uh, like they can have like rock stars and like, yeah, like Formula One racers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So I, I would have sex with models after they retired, like, you know, way, way after they retired. <laughs> No, I was kidding. No, but I, I dated a couple of models, but I wasn't, they weren't like, Ooh, who's the skinny guy that seems yeah. insecure about what we're doing. You know what I mean? They were like, you know, there were dudes though that were like cocky about it. But for me, just where I grew, like my hometown and stuff like that, I was like in my head the whole time. I was like, my, the people that I look up to would not do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Garcia was not going to, Jerry was not going to like yeah. strut down the wrong way. Um, so I just felt weird, but in, it's so it's did you do it, drugs uh yeah i did do drugs yeah <laughs> quite frequently i did more drugs quite frequently. In, in high school i did because school sucked yeah and i needed a release and i took uh i was like a big fan of lsd i mean acid and the grateful dead and skateboarding it's just those three things are just so good i can never get into lsd oh really I, it's too long of a commitment i needed I, it wasn't long enough for me. I needed, <laughs> dude, I need, and I felt dirty about it. Cause I was like, my friends, my age, like they're older brothers. These dudes I looked up to would be like, Oh, Phil's taking ass. Like it was like, yeah, was still a faux pas back then. It was before like, you know, everyone was like taking ayahuasca and shit. And I said that to, I had a therapist and I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, I always just felt guilty about like, part of me felt a little bit dirty about doing drugs. And he's like, you struggled so much in school that you needed like a release that was like, took you to another dimension. And immediately I was like, that's exactly what happened. Because soon as I left high school and was like modeling and stuff, and then was like, any drug was available. It wasn't like modeling wasn't like just filled with drugs, but you could certainly get what you wanted. Yeah, I was kind of disinterested. Like I wasn't, you know, I dabbled, but I was disinterested. It was really yeah. just when school sucked. When, when the you escape. Yeah, I just need an escape. Yeah, I have a weird thing going on with alcohol right now, and I can't figure it out. But I have like, uh, like we drank that yesterday, and I never could turn the corner on the buzz. Like I just, you drank. could never get, I could never where it. Oh, were you drunk? Nope. Wow. And I drink a lot. I, dude, I, uh, I marvel. And then when, because I know you party when you're on the road and stuff, yeah. and I have, you know, good friends that have worked with you or toured with you. I'm always like. How do you do? And then you like wake up and go on a treadmill. Yeah. If I'm hungover, I'm just like talk about depressed. Oh no, I love working out when I'm hungover. Really? Yeah. Because I, I feel I I I feel I'm very. It's it's interesting because I have a lot of uh, I'm punitive to myself, so uh, I get if I'm hungover, I feel like I deserve to punish myself. Oh, okay. Um, and then sometimes when I'm not hungover, I go, oh, I can just go to bed. I didn't drink three thousand calories tonight. Yeah, I can just go to bed right now, um, but yeah, I, I I I'm debating on whether or not to drink tonight. Tomorrow's my birthday. Oh, happy birthday, man! Thank you, thank you. I turned thirty three, and uh, <laughs> you're great. Me too. 
We should model together. I don't know why we can cut to the chase. Do you, do you realize if I had lived in your shoes, I would have committed 100% to modeling? I do. When I, uh, yeah, I was thinking just because I was, I was really looking forward to doing the podcast. Yeah. And uh, I, when I, and this is when I first met you, it was at the cellar and I met you, you, you hadn't seen me or whatever i had seen yours wait, wait was this was this how when was this probably like a year ago or something yeah like but that. i had been following you on instagram uh, but i had followed uh i so i wanted to start telling stories sam said you're a great storyteller so i had watched your stand-up so much to see how you told stories because i was always set up punchline so in in the in my special i have two stories and they're completely you wouldn't see parallels to yours but it's I learned how to do that from watching you. Oh, really? One hundred percent. Yeah, the way a guitar player learns from listening to Led Zeppelin or whatever. We, uh, I, the last time I was in, um, in uh, New York, so I, you, I, someone told me we had a similar bit, and I was like, uh, and I was like, oh shit, and then I was like, I, I, I'm gonna have to keep doing it. It's too good for me. Like it's, it's too good. What's the and bit? It's a transition. It's uh, edit this out, would you? Because I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna put it in my special. Oh. <laughs> What bands have you found adjacent to the dead? Like, what bands do you like now? Because, like, there's, I, I feel like the bands that they want you to like that are based on the dead aren't, but I feel like what the dead did was teach us a list of things that we can appreciate in music that aren't, like, everyone wants me to love G-Love and Special Sauce. Okay. And I've never been able to turn the corner, or the Spaghetti Incident. Yeah, I, I, it's so bad, and it's so painful for people that I date, but... I like my favorite band is the Grateful Dead, and my second favorite ba band is uh, the Jerry Garcia band. And I just listen to because I write all the time. I'm working on Gr this book. what's Grissom and Garcia is a great yeah book. all yeah. this bluegrass stuff. And then now uh, Bob Weir, my favorite dyslexic, is playing with like an orchestra, and it's amazing. Is it really? He's playing dead tunes with a horn section and a uh, pedal steel, and it's incredible. So so so. Uh, so we were somewhere and and I saw these hippies sitting on the side of the road and at, at this civic center. And I said to my wife, I go, what the fuck is there? It, I sniffed it out. I sniffed it out and I went, what the fuck is there? Cause I want to be there. And I said, I don't know who's playing there, but I guarantee you I'm gonna like who's there. Yeah. She goes, no, you won't. It's not what you think it is. And I go, what is it? And she goes, Bob Weir. And I went, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, can we can we put a pin in what we're doing right now and go back there? She was like, honey, we can't. And I was like, but I heard it's fucking amazing. Yeah. How recently was this? Uh, two weekends ago. Oh, dude. It's, yeah, I mean, partly because he was dyslexic, but always as a kid. I love, Bob Weir was such a badass in the, he's playing to all these hippies like in the like late 80s. He's wearing cut off jean shorts. He put up cut off jean shorts and a Madonna t-shirt and a pink guitar like that. That's so there's all the like crusty deadheads. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, how Bob, Bobby just does his own thing, man. He's such a, an original, original dude. God. Yeah. I, I, uh, God, I love Bob Weir. Pull up top 10 Grateful Dead songs and let's, let's us go through and rank them. Okay. It's interesting because I would say I'm a casual dead deadhead. Yeah. But I listen to it way more than like it's one of my go-to. I have you, three go-tos. It's it's 
Wilco. I'm meaning like uh, tomorrow tomorrow morning. Yeah, uh, I will go on to because it's my birthday. I'll go on to Sonos. Yeah, and I'll put in some music. And my go tos are The Dead, uh, Wilco, and and Widespread Panic. Those oh, cool. Are my, those are my three go tos. Uh, every now and then the doors I'll throw in like the doors, but they don't really deliver the way like because you would love Philco, which was when Phil Lash of the Dead played with Wilco this summer. They played a bunch of shows. Are you serious? Yeah, so I'm sure there's bootleg recordings on um, online. So they played some Wilco tunes and some uh, Dead tunes. Well, I got to be honest with you. I feel like I feel like the f- top ten Dead songs are a i'm gonna say this i hope this doesn't sound disrespectful just a tad bit pedestrian for like i think their songs everyone knows now i'm sure my wife wouldn't know any of them yeah hit 42 more okay fire on the mountain yeah like that see there's where i start saint stephen yeah the i mean i broke down broke down i didn't realize broke down palace was the name of that movie that claire danes was in and it was based on that song I didn't know it was based on that song, but that song just, oh my God, it's hard to keep tears in your tear ducts with that tune. Estimated Profit. I mean, I love all these tunes. I know what you mean. Like certain songs, like say Trucking or. Um, like like when you go to the top. Standing on the Moon. Okay, dude. Standing on the Moon. China Cat Sunflower is one of my favorite songs. Standing on the Moon is the greatest love song. I'll send you the right version and just jerry's soul you 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 can feel it and he oh my god standing on the moon is an absolute fave um i love ripple i'm not, i don't mean to discount count ripple i love ripple no ripple's beautiful i mean i i yeah. i love i sugar love magnolia is a beautiful song sugar magnolia is a beautiful tune uh i i mean i love every like touch of gray was their only big hit touch and i'm of- like you listen to Touch Gray, you're like this is such a great tune, man. Yeah, and I love Touch live, Gray. They would, that live, they could jam it out a little bit. I, I feel down. like I feel like I feel like I've earned everything I've ever worked for when I drive in my Mercedes listening to Touch of Gray. Oh, totally. I feel like yeah. that's the vibe I've been good looking for my whole life. Yeah, my whole fucking. It's life. such an optimistic tune. It's such an optimistic tune. In the uh, in the '80s, they asked Jerry what like modern music he liked. And you'd think he would say like some like crazy band, whatever. He goes, uh, don't worry, be happy. He goes, I really like, really like what that song's saying. <laughs> he 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 was an optimistic dude, man. He said he apted for in this lifetime, he apted for fun, a lifetime of fun. He man. But shake to me, Shakedown Street should be your tune. Yeah. I see you busting a move to Shakedown Street. Um it's funny, I I got, there were like three dead albums that I played on repeat in my truck, and they all remind me of Doak Campbell Stadium at Florida State because that's where I worked every night. And so that's what I'd listen to is that we had, we had a space in, in Doak Campbell that we would work out of, but you kind of had the whole stadium to yourself. Okay. No one was there, and we had no music. So I just backed my truck into the stadium. And then open the doors and, you know, clean your truck, listen to music, smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Like, and just wait for the phone to ring. That's all we did was answer phone calls. But, uh, and that's when I turned the corner with the dead where I was like, oh, I'm starting to get all of it. Yeah. Like, I'm starting to play an album from beginning to end and get all of it. Yeah. There's no better feeling when you get all of a band. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just so, I mean, they played over 2,000 shows. 
And that's what, I mean, I wouldn't listen to an album, but I would listen to like a live show. So I'd have like my favorite performance of a certain tune. And when I started writing, so I modeled, moved to Vancouver before I started stand up. I was working for a company that made uh, kids movies as a dyslexic. I couldn't type. I would write down scenes on legal pads and send them to, there was the, you know, air buddies, you know, Airbud, yeah. the dog that thing. Yeah, yeah. So he had puppies, and then they brought me in to. So if you watch the first Air Buddies, if you watch the first Air Buddies, there's so many dead references in that movie <laughs> because I was just listening to shows and I would sit. I have this encyclopedia of all uh, dead shows, and I would just like put on a show. I'd put on like, uh, you know, a show from '78, and I would go through the encyclopedia, and then Deadheads have read reviews, so they talk about each tune. So it was like my college kind of as i'm writing dialogue for puppies so wait, what's the best dead show you you think in your opinion i mean my favorite shows they they played and this would mean something to you they played a, uh i love and it's because of how i was really high on lsd when i first heard it and it blew my fucking mind it was uh 78 uh red rocks oh and the dude the the uh the uh, Eyes of the World solo, Jerry's just fucking, it's wild. But then they played, they had like different eras where they were great. They were, I mean, they were great all along. But then uh, in 89, they these two shows and they came out on CD. They're amazing. It, they're called uh, Formerly the Warlocks. And they played these two shows in Virginia Beach uh, in October of 89. And both those shows are are like, you get goosebumps the whole time. But yeah, this this is a great. This is I love this show. And then anything Spring '77 is like kind of their like considered to be their best, um, kind of period. Really, Spring '77, yeah. It's so, interesting. They're a band that started in the '60s, lasted '65, through the, lasted through the '70s. First hit '87. You want to talk about peaking late? That was yeah. the first time they started selling records, and then and then he died in what ninety ninety five. He died in ninety five. Yeah. It's crazy. He was Mexican. Uh, yeah he was part mexican yeah like that's insane uh this is the connection i have with my mom when he died i phoned my mom and before i could even say anything she just said i know dear because she knew how fuck and i was so fucked up when he passed what do you think what do you what like what do you think why the dead like i'm trying to think is it what what do you love them because of where you were at when you were introduced to them, or is it something that they do that like relaxes you? Like, I think it's like a perfect storm. And I think that it, it's such a rich, for one, I got to observe them from such a different place because there's not in Canada. It's not the way like in the States, I'm sure in every single uh, school picture, when we were in school, there was a kid with a tie dyed shirt and you know, someone's high school quote was, it's a long, strange trip. Like yeah. there was deadheads everywhere. Yeah. And there was deadheads that were frat boys and there were deadheads that were, you know, like hippies and all the stuff. And there was, you know, there was like an on-call that was a deadhead. In Canada, I didn't know that much about them. So I got to just without kind of all the baggage that they come with. And then just the way they started, they were just a band. And then they they uh, got hired to do uh, the acid test. So they were just taking tons of LSD and just figuring it out. The same way a comic would just go up and just dick around, dick around, dick around. And all of a sudden they became you know something so they started 65 and then there was all these great bands at that time and they just kept 
going. Yeah. And people would pass and they kept going. That, and I think Garcia was like, just, you know, just a really, really like one in a lifetime gifted musician. I think he really genuinely was. What was like, what are the five things you're interested in most in life? Like, like uh, if you go to my thing, you will see that I Google dogs a lot. Like yeah. I often will Google dogs and uh, I like surfing, even though I don't really technically surf. I watch videos of surfing a lot. Yeah. It's funny the things that I'm interested in. I know you're interested in watches, but like what are like three other things? The dead watches. The things that I, things that I would, yeah, like uh, yeah, Grateful Dead uh, watches. Um, I love the watch you're wearing now. Oh, thanks. I brought, I want to, is that the, this the is GM? the new, this is the new Pepsi. Really? Yeah. But I brought, I wanted to show you, cause I know you like oh, new I watch. watches. I wanted you to see this and compare it to this. I have a vintage Pepsi and I wanted you to see the difference between the two. That's a vintage. That's one's from 1970. Oh, but do wow. you, you see how this one is like aged in the patina? This yeah. watch is going to look like this when my great grandkids get it. This watch was you know brand new at one point but just the patina on the loom and i love all of it i love the i love the patina on this it's so great you know we were just talking you know kevin christie no oh you you should we were just he's been texting me this exact watch this is is this the they call this the gmt 765 that's um 1675 yeah 1675 this is uh so this is this is the pepsi this is the this is the one from 1970 and then that's like whatever 2018 or something like that that's fucking but each one of these looks different so you just get like when my the guy that i buy watches from when he had this in he was like i know phil wants this watch because some of them maybe the hands won't match the loom which is fine because the hands were made at a different factory and stuff at the time but this is to me this is just the perfect that's, model you know well you know what? i get lost in it i can just stare at it forever so wait hold on so uh kevin christie just texted me is he a comic oh yeah oh, oh he's, so... he's fucking awesome hang on one i second. feel like a dick that i don't no 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 he here i'm sure he won't so this know me is either. this is what he the picture he sent me is magnum oh PI. heavy yeah totally yeah. he wore the gmt so i mean these are both pepsis so he's so this is the 19 this is that exact watch you just pulled out seven the 1970 yeah, 1675 this is the exact same year long e that's it. and that's my buddy's uh crafty taylor these are my friends these are, i went out for dinner with cam last night really yeah that's that that's where i buy my watches craft and taylor really yeah this is I, I just think the story on that watch or or whatever story i heard was that Pan Am had them made it for their pilots. Yeah. And that's why the red and that's why the red and blue. Yeah. And they do the it was when the two time when they first started transatlantic flights. Yeah. And so the, that's why there's the the 12, the the 24 things. So and what's I think is that that's a great watch for a comic because we're always on the road. Yeah. I have the the Submariner, which I love, but I didn't realize is I mean, I did realize it because I knew it as a kid, but it's set for like, okay. We entered the water here. Mm -hmm. And so now I know 15 minutes is probably as long as we need yeah. to be underwater. Yeah. But this is the, which is so interesting. I love, I love sub. I have a vintage sub. Subs oh, are beautiful. And I, I have this. I should have brought my other fucking watch out. I really get a kick out of watches. I don't know what it is. I do not know what it is. They thrill me. 
Last yeah. night, um, Cam was pulling out like he'll pull out like a Paul Newman. He'll pull out a three hundred and fifty thousand oh. dollar Paul Newman, the Rolex Daytona, and I mean, I have photos on my phone of me wearing. You're just like, I don't so, know what. So, they're so, so beautiful. The guy who did my late, latest photo shoot said, "I think you'll appreciate this because." So I I was never really into watches per se, meaning my dad gave me a, a Rolex, uh, whatever uh, the base model, uh, just the base base twelve hundred dollar Oyster Perpetual. Yeah, Oyster Perpetual. Um, when I was uh, eight eight nineteen years old, uh, he thought he was going to die. It was his watch. He wanted to give it to me because he thought he was dying. Um, he ended up living. He ended up getting himself another watch, and then he ended up making money for the first time in his life. Like when I went first went to college, he was he was making he was ma- paying bills, yeah, and we could afford things, but he wasn't making money. And then when he started making money, he bought a few watches that he really liked. And so, the first day I got, I can tell you the day and where I was when I went. Oh, watches are pretty fucking cool. My dad had the watch I'm about to show you, and he let me wear. He gave it to me to wear for the day, and we had just had Georgia. And I was a loser comic. I was not doing well as a comic. I was featuring. Um, I was featuring around the country. I was making maybe $700. And I put this watch on, my dad's watch. Yeah. And I sat in my car. And I remember looking at my wrist going, I feel good about myself. And I was like, I know that this isn't my watch. And I know I haven't earned this watch. Yeah. But this, I feel good about myself. I went, that's crazy that a piece of, just a, a piece of jewelry like that can really change how you feel about yourself. So then he gave me this watch. When I was 40, I got this watch from him. This is, um, this is, and oh, beautiful. it's fucking gorgeous. Dude, this is, I, I, I have a day date, a gold day date. And I, when we met, I was wearing, I had a, yeah. uh, it has a blue face. This is a beautiful watch. And you know what is cool? When I see the sub, I always, like comedy wise, I always associate it with Louis because Louis always wore, look, on most of his specials, he's wearing a black, uh, sub with the date on it like, like yours a, yeah. an older version that's like the not the he has the metal basil not the uh, serochrome one and i always associate the gold day date with you because you're always wearing I was it always wearing the gold yeah uh, yeah it's so cool to have a watch like to be have a watch associated with you yeah, i never this is beautiful that dial is beautiful i never knew dang I, this isn't nice never get it polished this isn't fucking pardon my language this isn't that's an amazing condition man yeah it's uh it's um that's beautiful yeah i love this fucking watch think of the what i love about watches is think of all the adventures that's gone down with that watch on oh the touring the like uh, running to get a plane off a cliff in tanzania everything where where it opened up oh no and i had to hold my hand out like that so i didn't lose it oh my god this watch this watch so this was my watch and then when i started running i i started wearing like fitness watches and then i kind of got out of wearing watches for a little bit and fucking tom got me back into watches and he was like and i just i just recently kind of rediscovered like the fun the fun that it is not even to buy like you know tom went off you guys won't see it for a while but he's maybe you've already seen it i don't know when this airs he goes off on a tirade about people because tom buys watches and people go and cars he buys watches and cars and he spends money. He legit has no problem spending money. I and didn't know he had a big... I, so he's got like a fair size watch collection? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, oh. 
Oh, is it all? Is it modern stuff or what is he? That's the watch. The watch my dad gave me. Like that. The two tone. Like. No, uh, white face. I, one, one was with a gold face. One with my dad ended up buying with a gold face. Yeah, two tone bracelet. Uh, uh what you call it? That's Jub- cool. Bracelet. I, I could see you rocking that for sure, man. I love that watch. Yeah, it's and badass. So, so, um, Tom goes off on a tirade on one of our two bears about fans getting shitty with him because they're like, "Hey, man, uh, you make me feel shitty about I don't have any of this stuff that you have." Can you not talk about your cars and your watches? And then Tom just goes off on a fucking rant, a rant. But what's interesting about Tom and that people don't know is I think they think they they he's been successful his whole fucking career, and he definitely hasn't. What's interesting about Tom and, and what I find fascinating about myself and you in this is that part of the fun is googling them and learning about oh them. dude 100 that- so that if you're ever in the situation to where you have money you know what you want to buy and you're not just the fucking new kid with money that goes into a rolex store and is like yeah what do you have it would like if i'm going through a breakup or if i'm going through the thing i love about watches is it's so far removed from comedy from even you know, I have specific kind of watch friends or whatever, but it's really just a thing that I get into myself and I'll, yeah, just dive deep. Yeah, and I and watch, I, there's so many great videos. I mean, Cam from Craft & Taylor makes great uh, watch videos where he just talks about- Instagram? Them. Uh, yeah, he's on Instagram. Wait, maybe I know this guy. So I, I, I follow a couple watch guys. He's, he just got a great, I don't understand why he doesn't have more uh, views on YouTube, but he does these great videos. It's tailored like, um, like a suit. But his his- but his he does his, uh, we've he, already we've already googled him he does youtube videos where he he'll go through like look at those paul newmans That's beautiful. come on my the guy that did i had my, the white one on my wrist the other night i told you the guy that the guy that did my last photo shoot his dad gave him a an original the paul newman whoa oh, we got interrupted is that what he said and he said uh he said his dad got it i think got it in college maybe or he got it when he was in college. This guy's my age, so could have made sense that it was his dad's college. Phil, this is my wife, Leanne. So Phil is- Hi, Leanne. Uh, How Phil, are you? Phil Great is- we're, we're talking about uh, watches. Phil's, Phil's a great comic, but Phil's also massively dyslexic. I'm, yeah, I'm writing a book about dyslexia, the positive side of dyslexia. Exactly, but it, it, when you're in it and when you're at school, it just it feels like- hell but when you get out there's a great as like parents of dyslexia. there's a great uh malcolm gladwell has a book called david and goliath if you that chapter about all the dyslexic yeah it's it makes you feel so good and then you can see those things yeah yeah i know i've said to alice like first grade who's gonna get through high school that's that's what my mom did for me and said to me and got me through but that's the big thing is like getting kids like to maintain their self-esteem and know because you're told that you're not smart or you're made to feel that way. But then when you get out of school, you you realize you're like, oh, no, that just wasn't for me. But what is for me is everything else from now on. That's exactly right. Where intelligence is Absolutely. And if it was, it would show that she's smarter than like the average student. 100 percent. That's part of being dyslexic. But you should have been on you should have been in on this podcast uh, i have so much to say about this. i can't i have so it's a so a little bit of a soapbox for me because you know can you hear stand over here just so people can see you and can hear you a little bit sit in your lap is that please what please <laughs> so um 
I thought something was up when she was four. And then her first grade teacher, finally, I'd asked a bunch of people, principal, everybody. And yeah. they're like, no, no, it'll, it happens late for all, a lot of kids. She'll read late. And I was like, it's not what's happening. She doesn't know her ABCs, but she's, her language is so sophisticated. Something's not working. Yeah. The, right? Yes. It's because the language was like really good. Yeah. That was vocabulary. The, this the same thing with me, and my they would try to fail me every year, mm-hmm. and my mom would go in and go like, "No, he he's a smart kid." Mm-hmm. We're trying to pinpoint, and obviously, I'm a lot older than your daughter, and mm-hmm. so back then they didn't know anything. It wasn't even. It took them years to diagnose me as dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Whereas I could, if you just told me that, if you said I had a I have a four year old that's very sociable, very articulate, is struggling to read, I'm like, oh, she's dyslexic. Totally. One hundred percent. Well, you know what happened for us, which I think is actually criminal in my opinion, is she, uh, her first grade teacher was like, we need to have her tested. We have her tested. And the psychologist that works for the school, works for the district said to me, I can't really say this, but she's dyslexic, but I can't diagnose her as that because we don't recognize our state of California does not recognize dyslexia as a learning disability. So I have to find something else to diagnose her with so that she can get services, so she can get more time on tests. So this was, okay, my daughter is 16. It, that's insane. insane. So do you know how the state of California finally just recognized it when my daughter was in middle school? Because an eight-year-old boy lobbied in Sacramento for two years and spoke to the legislature in Sacramento and got them to just recognize it. We're so far behind as a state for dyslexia remediation that no one in the school district knows how to remediate it because it was never recognized. It's, it makes me so oh angry. Oh my God. Yeah, because it's child abuse. It, 100%. It's child abuse. It's, it's, That's it's why the same, it's triggering it's the child same abuse. as, as it's, she's being denied an education because... You go to the state of Georgia, they remediate, they recognize dyslexia first, second grade, as soon as it pops up and remediate it immediately. Yeah. Well, immediately. Because what do you, what, I don't. Sorry, it, sorry. I wasn't expecting to be on the podcast. <laughs> sorry, sorry, this sorry. This is her fucking. But how can you be an, like, so your job is to educate children, but if you don't recognize the disability, what do you, effect is that going to have on them? It's going to have a terrible effect. I was talking to Bert about terrible. the percentage of inmates in prison that have learning dis- yes. differences. Yes. It's because you're told you're dumb That's and right. then you finish school yep. and you have said you you are a little grumpy because you've been abused for six hours. Yes. You're going to steal something. You're going to get yep. in a fight. You're going to vandalize something or whatever. And then it, it begins. It's, it's proven. It, it's proven. It's 100% proven. If they're not proven. diagnosed by middle school, a lot of kids end up on the wrong side of right the, the statistics, by the time they graduate I, or they don't even graduate. I, yeah, I said it was... Uh, seven of, of 10 yes. inmates and it, um, I, that, I don't I don't I, th- I, I think I think that I remember that's what I heard it's so high it is. and it makes so much uh sense to me I work with uh eye to eye have you ever heard of eye to eye yeah. and they're an organization they're actually based in California and they advocate for kids with learning differences mm-hmm. and the big thing David who's the president of it he's this amazing guy who was nominated for a CNN uh, heroes award um it's not about like People are like, well, can you teach my dyslexic kid to read? It's like, no, it's not about teaching them to read. It's about maintaining self-esteem yes, so they don't have this baggage from high school for the rest of their life. That's it's, right. 
it's 17 years or for me i was 23 when i graduated high school i'm just kidding but uh <laughs> yeah no. the, best Same jokey, as the best jokey how do you guys uh, i'm writing a book about dicks last year at least i think that's what it's about <laughs> that's funny well i had two t georgia i mean sorry isla had two of her teachers in elementary school two teachers both said to me i just don't know what you're gonna do i, I mean and i thought if yeah. you're saying that to me what message are you giving my kid in your classroom? Oh, yeah, when you're not there. When exactly? They yeah they is so bad. And this is today. That's like when crazy. when we were kids. Yes. Okay, we didn't know enough. Yeah. This is today. Yeah. This is now. It should not be that no. way. Uh, I have to say, uh, her high school is doing a great job in that they don't know how to remediate anything. She's way past quote remediation because of her age, according to the standards in California. But they give her oral tests instead yeah. of written tests. They give her oral book reports, I, I, and it's um, she's making hundreds on stuff. Where she comes home and goes, "I made a hundred on my psychology test," and they they ask her to take a written test first, and if she doesn't do well, they'll have her take it over orally. Yeah, and she always makes a hundred. See, and I think that should happen once, and once she proves that she needs it orally, that to, she shouldn't be it should put be through it. Yeah, that's Agreed. that's that. Because agreed. When I I went through school. I took, they put me in general, every, like Same. everything, 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 Same. everything, She's everything bored out of her fucking mind. It was, I would misspell my name on the top of the test. I put F I L <laughs> flip it over and be like to hell with you people. Yeah. It's been 12 years of this. Yeah. Like I was, it was brutal. Yeah. And then in the final year, some weird thing happened. The school got extra money and I got a one-on-one -on -one teacher. So I'd go to a subject and then I'd have uh, Mr. Armstrong would sit with me. And I got like, it, back then it was a percentage, but I got like in the 80s. I went from getting like 30%. Like they mm -hmm. would be like, we didn't know report cards could go this low. <laughs> 20%. They would write 20%. You got oh, no. 20% in history. But of course they would go like, okay, read this about John A. McDonald, who was the first prime minister in Canada. And then answer the questions. I'm like, well, I stared at that for 25 minutes, which was quite monotonous and then i stared at these questions i, I can't take this and put it there no, but if you read that. it to me i'd get 100 percent. 100 yes but she's the, the same then you'd be perplexed yes i'm like it's so obvious it man. is the function of reading that's it that's it it is the function of reading that's it nothing else no she should be in honors or ap classes yes intellectually yeah but she cannot handle the workload and she cannot handle the testing yeah and that's i think that's the educational system's fault 100 percent. because they should be able to give her the testing and the workload that stimulates her thinking and her brain yeah and give her waves to prove what she knows that have nothing to do with i'm gonna write an essay that's it's, five paragraphs it's, your job is to educate someone. Yes. It's the same as if a chef's job is to feed someone. Oh, if they're like, yeah, I can't eat peanuts. And the chef's like, the recipe says peanuts. I have to put peanuts. Like, yeah, you, it's insane. And how many essays have you written since high school? It's a great question. Um, no, I, none. Yeah, you've written nothing. none. None. No, I'll give you the answer. It's none. You've written none. Anything. None. But, so we every subject, an essay about Benjamin Franklin. I'm like, fucking, can you, she just tell you a story? Yes. It's. Why not? But the thing that's so heartbreaking is that I got lucky because of my mom felt the same way that you guys feel about it. But some parents don't. Agreed. And, and then it's it's I mean, it's mission impossible for the, the 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 kids to succeed, even though they're that smart. It's heartbreaking. It's yes. It's heartbreaking because parents I was known 
as the squeaky wheel at our elementary school where dyslexia was concerned. And as kids came up younger than her, parents would reach out to me and we were not on the same wavelength. There were so many parents who were like, well, what if we get a tutor? And I'm like, go ahead. It's not going to help. No. But you, it's not the, it's not her. No. It's not her. No. She's fine. Yes. It's them. It's the, it's the system is broken. It's yes. a systemic problem. Yeah. So tutor it all day long, yeah. but that's not going to fix the problem. I'm telling you, you just got to get them out of high school. Yeah. Once you get them out of high school, they'll find what they love and they'll be better than anybody else. They're a coiled spring yeah. because yes. they haven't been able to excel. Yes. And then, yeah, I mean, and they're more intelligent in a lot of ways. Absolutely. They have a 5% bigger brain than most yeah. people. And they are into what they're into. But most dyslexic kids are into what they're into. We we just talked about the Grateful Dead for an hour. But yeah, that's because Because you're into what you're into. Watches comedy, the Grateful Dead. And hats and hats and shoes. Yeah. And tracksuits. And watches. Yep. Anyway, well, I'm glad you persevered and became a hugely successful person. That's amazing. Well, I thank you. I'm so glad. You got to watch his new special, Ooh La La. He's got, he does has jokes about dyslexia. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Maybe it's on Isla, YouTube. He released it two weeks ago. Maybe Isla and I can, can Isla watch it? Is it uh, appropriate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I okay. think. Yeah. Uh, she watched Nikki Glaser talking about the head of her boyfriend's cock. She'll be fine. Oh, because <laughs> yeah, because we have a similar bit about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there there's a story where I thought I had there's a story near the end that's like it's not super graphic, but I thought I might have uh STI. I what's didn't STI? I'm, I'm fine. Uh sexually transmitted infection. What, I didn't. What I thought they were called STDs. Or they're not, STD they were, now they're called STIs. Oh. Everybody's gotta have a new I label. Think, Every generation. I think, I think they D changed it. But yeah, I thought I we did. just called it the clap. I didn't, <laughs> but I didn't have anything. It was a misunderstanding. But uh, I don't oh know if God. that's appropriate. Has Isla told you? <laughs> Has Isla told you about the armpit crabs that are going around? You should ask her. What happened? <laughs> I guess armpit crabs are going around. Whoa. Right? I don't so know. People aren't having sex. They're sticking things in armpits, and people are getting crabs in their armpit hair. Really? Yeah. That's according, according to our dyslexic daughter. So who, by the way, who, by the way, said the other day, uh, tell me if I can share this. She goes, I think I'm just going to start an OnlyFans page to Leanne. And Leanne goes, for what? She goes, my feet. Leanne goes, Isla, you know what they'll do to those pictures? She goes, Mom, after they've paid me, that's not my concern. <laughs> she also were driving home last night. I could not stop laughing at this. She goes, so it's really interesting. We, we watched Moana in class, in religion class for Halloween. And he was relating it to John's Ark. And I went, whose Ark? <laughs> she goes, John's. You know, John's Ark, where they put all the animals on the Ark. Whose Ark? She was like, John's Ark, Mom. Everybody knows about John's Ark. I went, do you mean Noah? And she went, oh, yeah, Noah. Oh, yeah, I get that confused all the time. I'm like, how are you 16 and you think it's John's Ark? I get, You're so brilliant. I, I, can, I, I can relate to that 100. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, 100%. You know, John's Ark. I was like, oh, okay, okay. She's got jujitsu lessons. She she's been wanting to take jujitsu, and you know you know Eddie Bravo. No, Eddie Bravo is one of Joe's one of Joe's best friends. But he came over to do a Rogan Joe Rogan, and uh, he came over to do an episode and of something's burning my cooking show, and so he we go inside and and Isla, I said, oh Isla, Eddie is he's the only American to ever tap out at Gracie, right? Well, he's like a badass. He's the bad, one of the best jujitsu guys in the world actually 
and uh, he taught Joe jujitsu. And so I said, Eddie said jujitsu, and, and he can get you. And he goes, Why don't I get you private lessons? That's who's coming over. That's what I thought was happening. Oh, her, her private coach is coming over to give her private lessons. And then she wakes up the, the first morning. And she goes, I got to tell you, Mom, I'm really excited for a little hiya. <laughs> and Leanne goes, That's not jujitsu. <laughs> she goes, Oh, <laughs> and just walks out. She, she did it this morning. I said, you have jujitsu tonight. She went, hi-ya! And I went, again, that's not jujitsu. She sounds so really, she sounds she is, very funny. She is the funniest, she is the funniest amazing. fucking human. Our whole, and Leanne would, but when she was younger, what happened is, uh, and I, I think what happened is we talked about her so much, on, I talked about her so much on stage that she would become famous in her school and she d- didn't ask for that. And so people would like approach her and be like, yo, you're Isla from Netflix. And she'd be like, oh. So she started keeping her weirdness to herself for a period of time. But there was a period where Leanne would call and she'd be like, you're never going to believe what your daughter did. I go, what? She goes, she's keeping her deodorant in the refrigerator. And I said, why? She goes, name on the cap and on the base. She rubs it under her nose so that she doesn't have to worry about because no one's putting deodorant on at school, so she puts it under her nose so that she's taking care of everyone else. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Brilliant. She's an outside-the-box thinker 100%. That's brilliant. It is brilliant. Speaking of John's arc, uh, (laughs) uh, Bert told me uh, about your daughter, and then Isla, and then I proceeded to call her Delilah for the first half of the podcast. Oh, my God, that's hysterical. Yeah, Yeah. so I have a a John's arc, too. Well, thanks for talking about that. Oh, it's... Thanks for putting it out in the world. It's my favorite... It's it's the topic that I get most fired up about. And, um, yeah, I'll make... You'll get one of the first copies of... Because the book is dedicated... The book is dedicated to... Will be dedicated to my mom and is, like... It's moms and parents of dyslexics that it's have to just maintain that and get them through high school. And then once they're done high school, it's going to be for one, you develop just I like I can't stand doing something that I don't like to do yeah. because I did it for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how you, that's becoming a comic because I was like, no, I need to have a job that I love to do something mm-hmm. that I'm excited to do. And I'm, and I think that that's really common among dyslexics would make sense. Yes, because you're totally. like, yeah, no, I've you're been just suffering. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Every day. Yes. I hate it. I loved school. I loved learning. I read early. I loved to read. I actually, like, I'm a doer. So I'd go home and be like, I'm going to get in a stack and do my homework. And I'd be done. Have the whole day to myself. So I have this kid that is so foreign to me because our older daughter's similar to that. I'm going to make a stack. I'm going to do my homework. Yeah. I'm going to I was sort of a nerd, but not really. But I my heart just broke for her yeah. because I knew school was easy for me, yeah. but I didn't know how easy it was yeah. until I had her. And then it just broke my heart every day. She'd come home and I'd be like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic, I taught her eighth grade because they would be that like, was fucking, you, you, that was fucking, you, you thought fun, Coolio would be singing in the background. It's <laughs> as I walk through the valley of the darkness. She did not, you know, American history was like read 30 pages in your textbook and answer 11 questions. Yeah. And I'm like, that would take her six hours oh. to read 30 pages. Yeah. I, so I didn't even know if I could do like she I read I read all her history book to her. I walked in, I, I walked in on her on taking online classes one time and I peek my head in the room silently and I see her with her mouth like this. She goes, 
Alexa, when did Hitler die? It's <laughs> <laughs> the workaround, baby. It's, it's all about yeah, the workaround, yeah, right? You, you, you figure it out. But it is, it's when I think back of my like childhood, like in school, it, I pick, it's like a Dickens novel. Like I picture it black and white. <laughs> I was telling Bert, my teacher would just put my desk at the back of the room facing the wall just because. I wouldn't be in the way. Like, legally, I guess she had to keep me indoors. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but it was like, I'm sure if she could have just, like, you know, let me free, I'm sure she would have been happy to do that. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's brutal. But uh, how many more years of high, high school? She's a junior. Junior. So it's just this year, next year. She's actually, oh, okay. she's got some good teachers this year who get it. That's. Who are letting her take a lot of oral tests, and they really seem to get it. That's so great. So she's, she's A's and B's. That's amazing. You know, because she's supported yeah and hopefully she'll go to college and get her hpd or phd <laughs> something like that. hpv hpv <laughs> all right get out of here we gotta talk i know god bless your mom oh yeah, yeah i'll yeah. pass that on thank yeah. you i'm um, so nice to meet you you too you too nice to meet you. all right all right all right here's here's what i want here's what i you know more than i do here's what i want for anyone listening walk me through pull up the rolex thing because what are the differences in your opinion of the different rolexes okay so like the you probably don't want you want to go, go to, to rolex go to rolex you go to the the, web, the rolex website he's so he so your buddy deals with like a lot of vintage, vintage stuff. stuff i mean and they're they're beautiful and so explain the explain different explain the beauty of a vintage rolex okay and and the complications i remember you i think you told me i was like oh, i'm going to italy and you're like be careful about the art market stuff yeah yeah because they they certain places have reputations for putting in Did you see leanne's watch uh no i I missed it leanne i think your sleeves were down come here i got leanne this for her 50th birthday here let him see your, your watch yeah oh, 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 fuck. Oh, sorry. all right get out of here get out of here get out of here jesus christ all right so wait so so I think the Air King is a. So you wait. You were saying they use like off market. Yeah, brands? some some places could use like off market parts or whatever. But if you have a relationship with a vintage watch dealer and someone that you can trust, they go through and they're like, yeah, this is a a, a factory balance, or they'll look at a watch. I mean, I can look at a watch and be like, okay, so at some point, this one is all original. The hands are original. Everything, the the bezel, you can like flip it over. You can tell if it was like. This came off the Rolex factory floor in 1970, yeah. just like this. But you can sometimes see that they, they'll put, if you send a Rolex in, if you send a Rolex in to repair, they'll polish it, which devalues it. They'll uh, maybe replace the hands. I have a vintage Explorer where they replaced the hands and I sent it back. I was like, no, I want my hands, the original hands back. Because you want as much, you want it all yeah. original, you know? Yeah. So, so, so what is, so... For the average person, yeah, if they are say I'm saying I'm saying like someone's listening, they're making some pretty good money and they want to and they have a big I this is the way I look at Rolexes is if I have a big event happen in my life, yeah, I like to celebrate. That's it. what I do, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a special or or a birthday or a movie or like a, a TV show. I yeah. try to get something, but I also I'm I don't have super fancy taste, so like uh, uh, like. This was a lot of money for me, in, the, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, it's a was, lot of dough, and, yeah. and that's incredible. So, like for me right now in the vent in the in the vintage market, like new Rolexes are are just hard to get because there's a wait list, and you need to know, yeah, um, 
an authorized dealer and all this stuff. But for me, if I was to get like suggest like a first Rolex, if you had the money, they're about like say twelve to fifteen thousand bucks. They're expensive, but the vintage, like a vintage sub, say from like the eighties, are gonna have like the beautiful patina. Yeah. And that that I think they're undervalued in the vintage market because and and they're they're available. Uh, right there, click. Yeah, see, see, like I have, uh, yeah. So I have a a very similar watch to that. Like to me, that's beautiful. Yeah. So that the patina, how it's aged, it's yellow. Yeah, I like that. It's, I think that's really pretty. Yeah, and I think what's what's also cool about something like that is that people that know know. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's like I don't know enough about what like, but if you're around Russell Peters, he'll notice it. Yeah, and, right. It, yeah, and vintage. Like uh, there was a big thing online because Drake just bought a Paul Newman, and it was a huge thing. And I'm like. Oh my God, that's gonna kill the market if people start. If ever, you know what I mean. If yeah. rappers start wearing vintage Rolexes, because oh, then fuck. the price is gonna is gonna fuck. skyrocket. But for me, I mean, I love new pieces. I really want to get uh, the new the Cerachrome, uh Daytona. So 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 wait, go back to the Rolex place, the Rolex store. So out of, I think. So what is the what is technically the difference between a Yachtmaster and a Submariner? Okay. Is it, like, what is the purpose well, the of it? Yacht, I see the Yachtmaster would be, I mean, they do do a gold sub, but for me, the Yachtmaster is a newer model and it wouldn't be, for me, I love like the t- traditional, like I love the GMT. Yeah, I love the GMT. The Especially GMT. for a comic. Like yeah. I always have my, I'm super close to my nephew. I always have my, the one time zone where he is just so I know where he is. And I know I, you feel like connected to someone. The GMT is just a beautiful watch. And yeah. I love the, I love the story of I, I love the Pan Am part of it. So cool! I just think it's so cool. It's it's and then that to me this is a real. I love this this model right here, the no date sub. So that's like your sub, but with no date. Like yeah. it's just, the symmetry is just beautiful. Oh, no date sub. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I mean, it's such a subtle yeah. change. So that I mean, one of the next watches that I want to get is the fifty five thirteen. So that's the vintage no date sub. So vintage no date sub. Interesting. But, but go to if you go to the so what so I, yeah, I mean that those are my but then you can get like uh if you're just like you want to get like a like a first first off, there's also tons of cool brands that aren't that ex, aren't as expensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um like so then okay, so hold on. I want to focus on Rolex because I okay. I have a thing for Rolex. Me too. Like I just have a thing for Rolex. But if you were gonna list five brands like i know rogan loves um loves uh is omega. omega yeah loves omega see i for me i just love the designs and i love the history of rolex me too um and i love the modern ones i love the um i love the like i love the vintage ones and i love the stories and i love to see how they evolve like to me it's fascinating to be like 1970s and then 2018, like to see how it, cause what Rolex is doing is all they're trying to do is make a better product and a product that lasts longer. So what, so this steel bezel is going to get scraped up. It's going to get bashed up. So this is Cerachrome. You can't scrape that. You can't smash it. And it took so long for them to be able to make it. This is like one piece. So they have to make, I heard they make like out of a hundred, only 70 of them survive. Cause it's like perfect. It's one piece, but the color, like the line is perfect where the red goes to blue. Yeah. And, and then this is, 
that is uh, acrylic crystal. So that's going to get scraped and stuff like that. You can polish it out. This is um, sapphire crystal. So that's like, you can't scratch it. You know, like you bang your watch off the door hinge. You'd be like, I didn't want to look to see what happened. Yeah, yeah. And you look and it's like brand new. It's perfect. Cause yeah. we have the, the newer watches have the sapphire crystal. Wow. You know? That's fucking great. So then, so then the Submariner, if you had to rank them right now, if you had to go like, everyone says the watch to get is the is the steel the steel white face daytona Daytona. they call it the panda dial so if you just go to daytona if you scroll over a little bit you're going to get to daytona on the site right there so click on that see that's meteorite yeah that's the watch that everyone's talking about the if you scroll up oh okay so go see these are all the precious metal ones but if you i guess go over you'll get to the the right oh it keeps changing go just go uh over. I think that's a beautiful watch. Yeah, the rose gold. So think- right there, look, dude. Okay, so those are. If you go back, go back one. I'm so sorry. There, see, that's meteorite. The dial is made out of a meteor. So that dial circled the globe for I don't know how long. A meteor wow. circled the globe. Yeah, and they have it. That's meteorite. They have a um, a GMT with it. Looks like a white that's face. Meteorite. Yes. That Holy circled shit. the globe. If you go uh, GMT, you can really see it. But yeah, everyone wants the. That's only going to be on a precious metal, so it's going to be on white gold or uh, yellow gold. Holy shit! But isn't that wild? That's very wild. Yeah, I think that's such. I I think that's a. What are the three dials for? That's um. Diff, it's like a racing watch to time the different. Like one times an hour, one times. Uh, yeah, that's the one that everyone wants. So you unscrew the pushers and then you work the oh really yeah the chronometer. See right there here pause right there. That's the watch that and it there dude I've been I have a friend who is a Rolex dealer and I've been waiting I waited three years for this one yeah and then I'm I've been waiting years to try to get that because at retail because you can buy them off market but it's uh, so costly. I got offered uh, to buy a um. Sky Dweller, yeah. Uh, Bobby Sk- Kelly has a Sky, a sky yeah. Dweller, and I chose not to because I just didn't. It didn't fit me. It, it wasn't right. It's so Bobby Kelly because yeah. it's the most. Uh, it, that's the most complex complication that Rolex has ever made. Really, and just because Bobby likes stuff and yeah, to tinker he around loves stuff. So, uh, but yeah, that steel Daytona to me is just so um, beautiful. Yeah, it's now. What if I go to? Is there a place in Europe? So I'm doing a European tour. Yeah, is there a place I want to go to this Rolex factory in Europe? Uh, yeah, in in Switzerland, I'm sure you can go on a tour. But you could go in if you went into an AD. If we got into your car and went to an AD, you're gonna walk in and they're gonna recognize you and they're gonna give you. Uh, you're gonna be able to get whatever you want. Really? Absolutely. There'll no. be fans. Yes. No. Yes. I know Tom does that. I know Chappelle does that. Yeah. I know Rogan does that. Yeah. I heard a story where Chappelle did that. They were in Vegas and Chappelle went into the role. Again, this is like secondhand or whatever, but I heard. And they, and they just have Daytonas for if the right person walks in. I guarantee we went to Rolex. I, I know the place Chappelle. I bought this at the place Chappelle bought his. Oh, really? And, and the, the reason I got this was because uh i knew rogan oh yeah i mean rogan could get you a 
I'm sure. Yeah. If you walked in, they're going to be a fan, and they're going to all of a sudden mysteriously well, the, have one in the safe. Well, the lady. So the uh, I, 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 I'm a, I'm always hesitant to say her name because I know that she would just get then hounded by people. Mm-hmm. But she knows she's hit me up. I, I talk nicely about her on a podcast. She's a really cool person. The whole interaction was so fucking zen. Like, I mean, literally, I walked in and she was like. She was like, what are you here for? And I was like, oh, I'm doing a show at the Virgin. She was like, oh, do you know Dave? And I was like, Atel? She was like, Chappelle? And I said, oh, no, I, yeah, but not really. And I go, my my buddy's really good friends with him. She's like, who's your buddy? And I was like, Joe. She was like, okay, I know. Yeah, I know them. She was like, get him the uh, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> so I was like, what? She goes, I got your watch. It's coming out. And I was like, oh, I, I'd like to see a few. And she goes, no, I've got it. And she brought this out. And she goes, this is your watch. Uh, oh that's amazing and i was like oh i i don't know if i want it and she goes no you want it this is your watch and i was like i was like well i i'm not sure uh i don't know and i texted tom i texted my dad i texted my wife everyone said i should do it and then tom sent me a really i've told the story again before but tom sent me a very lengthy text about why i deserve to buy the watch for myself yeah so i went back i bought it but the everything about it the way she said this is your watch i went yeah and then i've, I've emailed her since and texted her and said like every time i get into a moment because it's really fun when you have something you like and you catch it and you go god i love this watch yeah and i'll text her and say just hey thanks again for this watch do i do that i do that with my my friend all the time i'll just send him a photo because it's like yeah because it's it's with you yeah and you go through so much and you always have your watch forever dude the stories you could tell like if you look at that and you're like what are the stories it was on your wrist for so much stuff oh and they're so beautiful to look at so I love this watch. The um the That's beautiful. The best story is uh so Tom says, I'm going to Vegas. Can you hook me up with your Rolex person? I said, Yeah. <laughs> they all but had to kick him out of the store. They had to tell him you have to stop buying watches. He wanted to buy everything. Like everything. Were they bringing everything they, out for him? Well, they brought it, I think they brought out, I think they brought out enough that he wanted all of it yeah and they had to say no <laughs> and then he went over to their patek philippe oh yeah section and oh was like, my god dude that story show me what you got here and then they were like hold on we can't sell all of our watches to you. yeah or i mean pateks there are pateks that are, yeah they're just impossible to get the, I, well i don't i don't really get patek philippe it's not like my watch if you dude if you there are i had uh my buddy had one and I, it, it was a five hundred thousand dollar watch it had a moon phase on oh it. i saw this watch and it's and it's so fucking cool yeah like a, it go, is so fucking uh, cool patek uh grand uh complication the, dude there it is the moon phase and tell me this isn't wizardry the moon phase is correct for 120 years i saw so this. it's like a quarter moon you look up it's a quarter moon well, there's the there's the world time, so that has all the different times and all the different. These countries. are and these are just they go, that black one has. I don't love the baguettes, but uh, so yeah, right the black right there with the. I don't love the diamonds, but that will have a moon phase on it. Oh yeah, right there. Yeah, so that's correct, dude. For 120 years, that's so, a pretty that that's a actually, dude. Like, you could you would no shirt on stage rocking that five hundred thousand dollar watch dude this is like i I mean i i say i say pull the trigger what's the most you'd spend on a watch i mean it depends like i mean my uh collection i mean i'm i'm not 
playing Red Rocks. You know what I mean? Like I'm playing yeah. clubs. So I'm I'm already like, see that look how beautiful that is. Look how 70s are beautiful. Go to the the 5711, the blue dial, it's square, steel. Go down. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, one over. Left, left. Other way. Other way. That's the one. Dude, that's this, the that's the oh come on. That's that, a beautiful fucking So watch. could you imagine just rocking that? You get to look at that. Hundred and twenty-two thousand well, dollars. Dude, the steel that's that's my, like I, I forget exactly how much you just can't get them retail, but retail, I think is that the new white gold one? The retail there would be like, you know, 30 or 40 or something. A stainless, stainless steel. That's like the hardest watch to get. Like that is so hard to get. So it wouldn't it would be like I think like close to forty thousand brand new, but the markup is like three I mean, times. What do you think about just... Jacob and Co's? Uh, that's like I would to me. I don't know a ton about them just because it's so not my style. But I feel like it would be, and I could be wrong, but it seems like uh, a lot of like uh, more flash than smash. Is that the phrase? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like I like I I like I could look at Patek Philippe's, but I don't know if I'd ever be able to. I mean, I I don't know if I I even I don't think I can afford one now. I think it would be a ridiculous purchase. I I mean I make I have made ridiculous purchases, but I um I don't know. The one thing that when I first so I had I had a, a vintage Explorer, which is Rolex, very low key. It was from the sixties. It's I think beautiful. The Explorer was the first watch that made it to the top of Mount Everest. There's a great oh, they history. Just, they just talked about... that Right there. Yeah. Uh, that is a vintage explorer right Where there. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, up. It's like one... It's a very top. and th- that Right there. Yeah. So that's my watch. So that was my first watch. And uh, so low-key, right? Yeah. So low-key. Beautiful. The designs. I love it. And, uh, and then I bought a modern watch. I bought the Batman. So the blue and black GMT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I bought it. I was so stoked. I remember I did Bobby Kelly's podcast. It was shipped, uh, to my parents' place in Vancouver. And I did take a flight, a six hour flight. I was just like, oh my God. I got in there one in the morning, ripped open the box, a beautiful hinge green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was losing my mind. I was so stoked. Could not afford it. Did a movie. I did a movie. It shot it in Columbia, like maybe six or seven years ago. And I spent all the money I made on the movie on this watch. <laughs> Every cent went to this watch. And I was so stoked. But I put it on. I'm like, I cannot wear this on stage. This is too flashy. It's not my style. I wore that watch for two years before a single comment uh, comic noticed it. Really? Yeah. They, I, that's another thing. People just don't. I think watch culture now is people are becoming a little more aware. But I never, no one ever... And that's, I kind of like that too. It's like, if you know about watches, you're going to be like, oh, cool. You know, that's a cool yeah, I would, Pepsi. That's a great sub. But I was with my agents and we were having, we were having lunch and we were going around talking about watches and, uh, and it was, it was pretty fucking fun to have the conversation. It's a fun conversation. I love it. And by the way, and I mean, I say this only because I know there's people that are probably feeling that this isn't an accessible conversation, but it is if if it's something you want yeah like it, it it can be something you save for you just put some money aside like i like trust me when i say i i do make a lot of money but i i don't have i don't have the mindset where i can just go in and buy stuff crazy yeah that's just not who i am so but i can save up in my head and go i can afford a little something yeah and so and and 
and that's all the and, and but it's fun with the funnest part actually isn't buying it for me the funnest part's researching it yeah and like learning going about it learning going the like, history like yeah. reading about the gmt so i was like i don't really know anything about anything with watches like yeah. i know that i like i know that i like this submariner but i was like i what which one do i want next i know I, I, everyone wants the panda yeah but like I go, what would be, what do I want? And then I saw this Pan Am shit. Magnum Dude, try, this, on try this on. I mean, the new GMT, to me, I love it because it's, it's a design. It Here, looks really timeless. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, I, I've never made a crazy. Uh, no, I don't think it's getting over my wrist. That suits you though. This is, this is a good looking, this is a good looking watch. This is, uh, this is beautiful, dude. Yeah, that's that I I love. That's a good look. I, that does suit me. And I think it's I think there's a sportiness to that watch. Yeah, it's super sporty. Where, where you can you can uh the like it, it and I think it's because I saw it on Magnum PI's wrist. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was what he wore. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah, I mean um I think Dizzy Gillespie wore GMT. Really? Uh who else um the president of cuba uh fidel castro yeah he type in fidel castro gmt be, oh absolutely he wore, absolutely he wore uh, a gmt i'm sure you'd get in some sort of trouble for buying fidel castro's watch but it's out there somewhere it's somewhere see oh, look at that that's the that's the old one with the bakelite bezel so that was like the bezel they were really uh fragile it's like a, almost wow. like a resin or a plastic whoa type in uh, wonder what kind of watch like uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev wore, like that. Like, what do you think Kennedy wore? Uh, well, that traditionally they wear the the they call it the president because of the the, the day date. Yeah, yeah. A lot of presidents. Uh, I think RFK or um, if you yeah Rolex. If you do yeah, let's see what he looks like a Cartier. Oh, look, there he is. That's your dude. That's a version of your watch on jfk yeah fuck yeah yeah oh and i'm not again i'm not i i save up and i try to buy a watch before it like this watch i bought when it was worth a lot less money because i was like oh these are gonna go up so i'm that's yeah. why i buy vintage because there's there's so limited of them you know what i mean like they can't make anymore and what do they got they have the pepsi the batman the root beer the, the four gmts they got the they got the pepsi they, the hulk hulk is a sub hulk is the all oh. green sub and then now they have your sub with a gr uh, green bezel which uh, people call it like the some people call it like the starbucks so th that's the oh, new gmt Starbucks. that's a good one that's the new that's a good one. <laughs> oh shit that's the, the new gmt is uh black and green that's, that's the cool one that came look, out this year. So there's cool there's the watch. Batman on the they do it on the Oyster Bracelet, they do it on the Jubilee. Is that root beer? Uh that's the root beer. That's the two-tone. Um, so that's the gold, rose gold, and steel. That's the two-tone. They also do a really badass all rose gold. If just under that is the all rose gold one. That's whoa, that's, that's pretty gorgeous. badass looking, right? That's gorgeous. Yeah. With the brown and black bezel. My 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 cameraman, John Manns wants to buy a rolex because he knows they're going up in value yeah but uh well the market crashed a little bit like it went crazy i heard Bitcoin. crypto guys yes because dude i would be on stage and i'd come off stage and someone be like oh nice watch and i'd look down and it would be like a 23 year old with the brand new cerachrome panda daytona and i'd be like 
how did you get that? And they'd be like, oh, I just, you know, bought it. It was like, you know, 45,000 bucks, whatever. Because they had the dough and they were just buying. So the, when crypto went down, the, like the, the for gray mark after value of modern Rolexes went, went down. God. I could do this all day. When are you going to be in Austin? Uh, I don't have, I don't, no time in particular. Oh, you know what? I think I'm supposed to do, uh, yeah, someone's podcast out there. So fairly soon. I think I'm going to do Tom's. Oh. I'll bring my watch right. Oh, dude. What, let me know when you're down there, because I might come down there and do an episode of Two Bearers, and then we should go watch shopping. Oh, that'd be great. And just watch Tom spend money on watches. I, 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 we'll, when get people Rogue, buy, we'll get Rogan, too. Well, the three of us, the four of us will all go out. When people buy watches, it makes me so excited, because I just know the feeling that I, I feel. Dude, I appreciate you doing this podcast, man. Dude, I was so excited. Oh, uh, I've been a fan of yours for a while. It. And it's and especially like when when you when we started talking about watches, I was like, oh fuck. I was like, I gotta get him on the podcast. I could talk to you about watches forever, but more importantly, this dyslexic shit is fucking fascinating because it's what we're going through. Yeah. I wish I'd had Leanne on the podcast earlier. She would have been fucking going bananas. It made me feel so good to hear how passionate she was about it. Cause that it, that's what breaks my heart. Even when I, I see like kids leaving school, I'm like, oh God, like some of those kids are dyslexic and i not everyone's as lucky to have parents like you guys and they don't it's so important to have the support at home well, hopefully we can introduce you to isla on the way out i think her jujitsu is starting any second oh really oh, okay cool but Dude, i appreciate, I appreciate you doing thank this, you man. so much for having me let me plug uh my special yeah and it's it's uh ooh la la it's on youtube right on my now. youtube channel ooh la la um yeah i talk a lot about dyslexia on it i can't wait it. i'm gonna play it for isla i love this i love this <laughs> I think now I'm texting with Tom about watches. Right on. Dude, it's the best. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me.